everyone, are you ready to get into the sickest episode of the Pink Smoke podcast ever? And by I mean that, I mean the most literally ill, where I'm on day six of crippling COVID and your strep mono flu is destroying you. Are you ready to take charge? Hi, everybody. Happy 2024. It's the Pink Smoke podcast, and we are going to lead it off by talking about the movies we saw in the year 2023. Um, like last year, we are joined by Mr. Martin Kessler. And like last year, we uh, it's going to be very scatterbrained, I think. I don't think we have any prepared list or structure. We're just going to talk about movies we saw. Because kind of, I didn't see that many, many movies this year. I more have like things I want to talk about. Yeah, that's what I, my I'm list is going to be. I mean, thank you for having me on for another episode of Stuff You Guys Saw at TIFF and Stuff I Watched on Netflix. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> That really should be the honest title of this episode. It's true. <laughs> stuff I saw at TIFF, stuff I saw with my dad and son also is included in that. Blockbuster movies that I saw with my dad and my son and things I saw at TIFF. That's a whole nother four movies. Stuff I saw at TIFF and 10, movie, 10 horror movies I binged on uh, Shudder for the last three days. <laughs> Shudder had some good stuff this year. They really let's, did. Yeah, I was yeah. Let, let's get into it. There's lots to talk about, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's funny going into this. I thought I, it's one of those things where it's like, this is a laid back episode. I just like talking with Martin and Chris, and it's not going to be a problem at all for me. Um, but I also felt so ill prepared because I literally just want to say like, um, it's Spider-Verse. What do you guys think? <laughs> I, 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 I saw Spider-Verse three times in the theater. I cried every time, not from emotion, although there was plenty of that, but from just pure awesomeness. I mean, I, how many movies can you see that just bring you to tears by the pure artistry and excellence of the product. I, I don't know what to say. It's, I know, it's truly a testament to the inexpensive labor of animators. That's the thing is like, you know, I, I hate to, to, to say this is a great artwork when I know that, you know, it's a corporate job where people were forced to, you know, literally be away from their families and work 24 hours chained to a desk. I hate to think about that, obviously, but the, you know, you can't, you can't uh, argue with the result. And the result is, I thought that uh, Cross Spider-Verse was phenomenal. And uh, anytime I see it pop up on somebody's list at like number eight or nine or whatever, and I'm just like, hey, what are you for? What's in front of it? What's in front of it? What could possibly match? <laughs> I will, t I will tell you what's, what's, in what's in front of it for me All right, is that uh, Pictures of Ghosts. Yes. That was the movie this year that, that stayed with me the most. I also, having watched the whole thing in the theater, Menus, Plaisirs, Les Trois Gras. And I think that it's I'm easy glad you to got take. To see it. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. I think it's easy to take Fred Wiseman for granted, and these little wrinkles, since he's such a consistent filmmaker, the very minor wrinkles are easy to sort of be like, oh, he's doing fun stuff like restaurants now instead of you know, pits you know of I... dead babies where you know whatever is the things he's looking at. It's easy to go no, like him turning into the world's most joyful documentarian is an incredible fucking twist. Well, also, and I feel like like people kind of talked about it as if it was slight. And I feel like there are really interesting ideas there about how like achieving something great and being great at your craft doesn't mean like yelling and screaming and insane perfectionism. And there's so many of these like restaurant documentaries and shows where it's all about like the tension, the pressure and you know, I, I think movie, there was something really interesting a, about it's a movie about being in perfect harmony with the yes. world, which is fucking miraculous. It's uh, it's a profound work, actually. 
it's it's not just like oh a nice little cutesy restaurant documentary because you know there's so many of these out there i i think like it's actually yeah. saying something really interesting about it's not i like killing flies which is a perfectly charming <laughs> little movie you know it's sure. not something like that there's so many restaurant documentaries and to have yeah, Frederick wiseman, yeah. wiseman just focus on the minutiae of doing it and how this thing just hums along perfectly and how and how all of that like farm to table stuff sounds like bullshit until you see it and you're like oh this is like humanity this is living this is what sustenance is this is what life is this is what family is this is what connection is this is like you know i always make fun of the beginning of dashinsko's earth where the guy is lying in the field <laughs> with his family <laughs> it's guess it's time to die now and they're like mm -hmm. and it's like what no one has ever died like that in their life people die like the fucking that one lady at the end of ballad of narayama you know that's what fucking death is <laughs> oh like and uh but this movie i'm like i don't know maybe dashinsko's right you know i can imagine just like that scene taking place 15 feet away from this documentary but um, of like wiseman's ultimate goal right to like create this microcosm that where you just feel like this is the whole world right here these people's lives and this group of people coming together in this organization yeah like that's just like the world right there and to be able how to could there be anything else world. yeah absolutely yeah gorgeous but that's that's not to take anything away from spider-verse which is you know, in a year where I think everybody was like, how the fuck do superhero movies go on? Yeah. Like, how do they even make them? And then you're like, oh, well, Spider-Verse is a fucking amazing, brilliant film. So the answer is just be excellent, I although, guess. Although Spider-Verse, I did kind of resent the fact that it's like a, a part one of two. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm sort of waiting for it to wrap up. I'm like, oh, right. But I'm it's like an Empire Strikes Back like... part. No, it, it is. Three, it, it, it's not as egregious as like Fast X or, or Mission Impossible or Dune, you know, which are, I, I think, like much worse as far as making a film that stands on its own. But it's still like, it's not fucking Tolstoy. It's a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> like, <come laughs> you know, like, I don't know, it's man. already like two. two Tolstoy like was writing Spider-Man scripts. It you might know, have like Spider-Verse. Like a part of me kind of admires like a similar kind of movie was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And I kind of admired how slight it was. Like, sure, yeah. it didn't make me cry, but it's like fun and charming and it looks cool and you're done in an hour and a half. It tapped, <laughs> it successfully like... tapped into the exact same yeah. energy. I really liked it too. You know, I, I think yeah. like that's a good kind of compliment to something like that that feels like slight in a way that's not an insult like I, I think it's actually it's it's also what i liked about the ninja turtles movie is it feels like a movie for kids in a way that feels like they don't make them anymore yeah, yes you know what i mean like it's not trying to hit all four quadrants like there's something weird about it that's like teenage boys and yeah. yeah yeah that's not like young adult the young adultification of all art for young adults you know what i mean which is really this like stuff for emotionally retarded adults you know what i mean it's like so much young adult stuff is not actually for kids it's for like adults who like don't function right and, and don't understand what art is and the ninja yeah. turtles and like there's a lot of a, a lot of ninja turtle fans are like guys who are older than i am who grew up with yeah. it you know in the in the 80s and who yeah. remember it fondly and are still like invested in that and like 
but I, I think, think this there was some a... pushback yeah. to to it yeah. because of that but like it yeah. really like to me it felt really fresh and not just kind of stuck in the past and not yeah um, it felt like yeah. oh they i didn't even realize they don't make this kind of movie anymore yeah. you know it really did feel like there i feel like when people talk about like 80s stuff and, and that they grew up with it's not just nostalgia it is also like you know there's a way in which the first star wars movie when you watch it feels like kid shit in a way that something like the creator has been test marketed out of yeah. being like whatsoever well and also you like know? i think like this year one thing that was sort of notable were all the kind of like hey remember growing up with this thing we're bringing it back 30 years later yeah to wave it in front of your face and it being like awful like you know yeah the flash with michael keaton or you know indiana jones right there were like a couple examples of this where it was like oh like <laughs> i think you know oh it seems so stale and you know there were some pretty high profile box office bombs this year and like a part of me was kind of actually satisfied with that like Sometimes it's nice just to see a movie that sucks fail in the box office. You know, like people always talk about like, oh, you should root for things to fail and all that stuff. But it's like, you know, I remember uh, I was talking to somebody who's saying like, oh, I think The Flash is going to make a billion dollars. And like, God, probably. But like, it's so And then like, you know, it flopped and it's like, oh, there's some there's some sanity in the world that like a film that deserves to flop no matter how much money's pumped into it. Like, well, people just kind of reject it, you know. This is interesting because I was thinking a lot about business stuff. When you look at the collapse of the superhero movie infrastructure yes. and a lot of the sort of um, blockbuster infrastructure that's sort of falling apart in some fundamental way. And I was actually thinking about this because one thing we've, one of the only observations that we need to talk about at some point is that this was the year of the product placement film as the entire movie air <laughs> right. flaming hot blackberry tetris barbie even barbie even <laughs> yes. ferrari yeah right even these movies are just about here's a product and the idea is what about a product you yeah, know and I the history like of it the, these used to be like biographical films and now they're not really anymore they're like episodes of uh the business wars podcast yeah. that have been turned into movies you know it's like yeah. wait i'm not even really watching a story about like a creator i'm watching a story about a, a product like you said. well it's it's funny yeah. uh several years ago there was all this talk about the death of of original intellectual property and original ideas and the year that was happening two of the biggest non uh are two of the biggest was that the uh, original and, uh... it was yeah but <laughs> boss baby and sing came out oh. that year right and those are both original ip and mm -hmm. both of those movies one is about a producer and one is about an executive and it reminded me of terence rafferty talking about how summer blockbusters right this is in the early 90s have became expressions of like the imagery of executive stress like explosions and screaming at people in boardrooms and like you know that kind of like yeah. die hard and total recall and stuff and robocop that they became these movies that are all about like the anxieties of executives and the executives don't understand that because they're not thoughtfully creative and how boss baby and sing are perfect expressions of that the only original ip that are allowed to be made are about executives they're about like you'll know it'll be we can't make any stories that are original stories unless they know the work unless they're about a boss 
or a producer, right? Then we can go ahead and make it. These movies with the or year of the product, baby, yeah, exactly. The the ex, the year of the product film really felt like executives being like just interested in themselves. You know what I mean? Like this mm -hmm. expression of like you can talk about the death of IP and art and stuff, but the problem is is sort of like the the stupidity of executives you know and that that's really what's going to always be driving failure and collapse as executives not having any awareness of their own narcissism like who the fuck gives a shit about blackberry right you know what i mean right. and that's and that's the best of all of these movies right and glenn howarden's very good in it and i hope sure, he gets nominated sure. for an oscar but like really truly every regular person in the world heard about that movie and were like who gives a fuck yeah. air is one of the most incredible plots for a movie you've ever seen get green light you know what the story of air is guys michael jordan signs a contract yeah there was a basketball <laughs> player that signed a contract with the shoe company to, yeah, rep like, to represent the shoe company, Martin. It, like, uh, you know, he, he went into their offices. Wait, 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 wait. You're not understanding. He went into their offices and they were like, hey, do you want to sign the shoe contract? And he was well, like, also, what do the, I get the scene for where, like, Matt no, no, Damon no, no, is no, no. pitching Listen it is like me, one of the most ridiculous things yeah. ever where it's like, people in the future will know your name and the like yeah. the city walls will crumble and Michael Jordan, yeah. like it's the yeah. most ridiculous hindsighty kind of well, thing. That's, but the, that's the fucking thing about that movie is that movie. Is your dad's going to be murdered, but you're going to get over that and you're going to three peat again. <laughs> it just lays out the whole, the whole future. Like that movie is incredibly well directed. Ben yeah, it's a really well-made movie. Yeah. He's a really interesting director. And what that movie demonstrates is what the limits of creative ability are because you cannot make that fucking story interesting it's goddamn impossible uh yeah and it also it's like is that what we're just going to waste interesting artists on or movies yeah. like this you know ben affleck is deeply well, underrated as a filmmaker. i mean I, I thought a lot about this year like i feel like one of the big themes of the year was selling out yeah you know whether certain artists should or should not sell out if some people are maybe even better off like i mean i, I thought a lot about this with um i mean like I, I think like the most egregious example for me was just like where david gordon green has ended up as a filmmaker it maybe not so much for himself but just for me for like having cared about his his first couple films it's like oh my god i can't believe it's almost like that. Like I can't believe I used to date that guy. Kind of feeling, you know, watching like an Exorcist uh, beginning, or not an Exorcist beginning. What was it called? Exorcist Legacy? Exorcist something? It wasn't. Literally, it wasn't literally called Exorcist Legacy, was it? It was called. I believe it was called Exorcist Numero Uno. Oh no! Hang on. Exorcist <laughs> Believer? Is that it? It's, it's actually well i mean it's kind of funny because like this year was, i feel like there were other possessed like you could have just slapped exorcist on talk to me and rebranded as an exorcist like a sequel and it would have been a better exorcist movie than that you know like the, the just like any there were so many other horror films this year that weren't creatively bankrupt and it's like to me that was like so kind of painful to watch yeah but a lot of people have been um, saying that dgg and his foray into or has been a disaster anyway not everyone I, likes i guess so um last halloween i mean movie. i well you know i thought like the the last halloween film at least had like some redeeming artistic traits i think like halloween kills was pretty pretty terrible i didn't but, see like, exorcist but i just feel like 
If it's yeah. bad, I don't feel like it's a new thing for him. Like I feel like no, no, going well, into the Halloween bad, movie, he sold out a few years ago. It's not just bad; it's artless. You know, I feel like is the real kind of thing you can say about that, or soulless, or well, let me. You know, it's it's ask, like a crappy product. You know, but me, I mean, there's let me examples ask you a of. Question, uh, though. You're okay. talking about selling out. All right. You seem like of the three of us, you would be the only one who would have anything to say about Barbie. Isn't that like the biggest act of like defiant selling out? Well, this like is we thing, sell like, out every stadium Metallica type sell out talk. Sure. I mean, like people were talking about like Greta Gerwig selling out and you sort of stop to think about it because I mean, you watch that film and it's it's like the most conformist film ever. It's also, I think, like one of the funniest films it's probably the funniest film of the year in terms of like laughs per minute kind of a thing. You know, you have two very funny leading actors just doing their thing, but like, you know, it's basically saying, Hey, Barbie can be anything. What does she want to be? Uh, she wants to be like everybody else. You know, it's kind of the messaging of that movie. And I know like some people have tried to pick apart that monologue, uh, which is just kind of like theme vomit where I think like a lot of people kind of take away whatever they want, but it's it's like the most tell you what you want to hear thing. But then, you know, you think back through Greta Gerwig's career and I know she didn't officially direct Francis Ha, that's Bombac, although like a lot of people say she basically co-directed that and she wrote it. But like, you know, the theme of Francis Ha is, hey, maybe I should uh, give up on my dreams and be like everybody else, you know? So I think she was kind of always that filmmakers i'm not sure if it counts as like selling out it's just her kind of doing what she's been doing on a bigger scale and you know her values are conformist values like i was sort of thinking like you could kind of compare barbie to something like i was thinking like a good example of a stylized studio comedy that i really like is uh, adam's family values and there's something in them that feels like genuinely kind of like countercultural or transgressive a little bit you know even though it's packaged in this very kind of accessible big funny studio comedy sort of thing like it's not just you know you think about the thanksgiving scenes or you think about stuff like that it's like oh like you know there's a little bit of bite to this movie actually and i kind of wish the barbie had had something like that because like a lot of the humor feels like so kind of like 90 simpsons or you know like a lot of it's just like really funny and you kind of wish that there was some kind of underlying like yeah. critique or or something to like really kind of say like oh wow you know i can't believe they they got this made <laughs> you know what i mean instead of a film that feels like very you know it's very entertaining but it feels like you know a film that it kind of exists to tell you what you want to hear and to yeah just kind of you know feel like oh you know i want to be like everybody else barbie one of the funniest movies ever made, Martin Kessler. That's the quote that's going to go with this episode. <laughs> well, I think I said like funniest of the year, but uh, <laughs> of all time, you said Adam's Family Values is good. Adam's Family Values is an interesting kind of transition to what I kind of want to get, talk okay. about um, in terms of subversion, right? If you're doing something, it's going to get released in the malls, but it's going to be subversive. I didn't see Barbie. Yes, yes, yes. I did okay. see Yorgos Lanthimos, Poor Things. And I can only imagine that there are some comparable things in these two movies right did you see it, i haven't seen no i okay i'm probably gonna see it in like a week in this... there were a couple of movies like uh poor things is one i really wanted to see that i just didn't have a chance to i won't talk about it too much then but i'll just go, say go, that... go court I, I i don't my, i've but, already kind of heard in, what it in is, general but... what it is it's, it's ipsen's frankenhooker is what it is if, <laughs> that's great if, yeah, if yeah, it's written in frankenhooker that's that's what this movie would be um, but the idea of, you know, putting a movie out there about a woman who has this complete blank, doesn't understand how society works, goes out, yeah. you know, uh, sort of an overboard sort of situation where, you know, like she's like discovering these things. If Barbie's that, then, you know, 
and it's like we're subversive we're still being artists even though we're doing it for the malls i mean that, more, that would more be things is the real version of that yeah right? that, that would put for me like barbie that would make it like a you know favorite movie of the year kind of thing for me like as is i i'd say like its biggest virtue is it's very entertaining it's very funny i i think like in terms of like the big studio films that came out this year it's notable in that like it was a big studio film that didn't feel like a ripoff mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean like some of these movies i, I went and saw the like hundred or well i guess the the 200 million dollars is now the what the hundred million dollar movie used to be but like you know, a bunch of these movies, they feel like riboffs. Mission Impossible, Fast X. It's like you walk out of it leaving like, leaving it feeling like somebody stole your money, you know? Well, I'll tell you what's weird about Barbie is yeah. that it was such a cultural phenomenon and people were so excited about it and so into it. And people kept saying to me, oh, Chris, have you seen Barbie? You should see Barbie. And what I find strange is like, obviously... I, Chris Funderburg, should not fucking see Barbie. Like, what are you talking well, about? Like, I mean, it could be the best goddamn it. version of Barbie, Martin. Yeah. And it's not for me, and I'm not going to give a shit about it. Just the same way you wouldn't say to me, Chris, you should see Fast X. Yeah. If it's the best ever, I'd be like, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> I absolutely should not. These things yeah. are not like, Chris, what do you think of John Wick chapter four wrapping up? Nothing. And I never will. I will never have a single goddamn thought I, I mean, about I've got, Barbie. Um, I, I've got <laughs> thoughts on John Wick four. Maybe we can get to that after. But like, <laughs> I, I think the Barbie movie, one of the strangest things about it is like they made a, a giant Barbie movie and it's not for little girls. Like I can't imagine somebody bringing their little daughter to see this and having a good time you know like i i think well that's the thing is, like, like one little, of the strangest people things are like is... what, what do you think about little women i'm like i've got a ton of thoughts on her fucking botched <laughs> version of little women like i i have a lot of thoughts about yep. little women that's the kind of movie that i'm going to have a lot to think about and a lot to say about and how it compares to the other versions and why the 94 one is best and all of these different kind of things yeah. barbie it's just like what it could well, i'm sure it's fine and if that, i like, see it um, on cable i'd see it i'm not avoiding it the way yeah. that like if fact stacks is showing on a plane i'm not going to be like turn it off i'm against it you know that's not sure, sure. my attitude to it but it, it feels like people just absolutely lost their mind like you have to see it and that's actually really cool for the culture to have that you know, I feel like the the whole Barbenheimer thing actually was really awesome. And I mm -hmm. really appreciate it. And it to me, it was like, that's actually what it felt like when well, Terminator 2 came out, yeah. when Batman 89 came out. That's actually what it felt I get, like. Those were two films that came out this year that were big, kind of expensive Hollywood movies where I'm like, oh, right, this is what Hollywood does well. This yeah. is what, you know, this is what Hollywood's for, what it's good at. Yeah. Like, forget all that other crap earlier this year it's like whether it was targeted towards little girls or not my little girls know barbie exists and i agree that's oh, of a good course, thing yeah. i like well i mean what what's i was gonna say is kind of funny is you know like barbie she comes to the real world looking for her little girl and it's not the little girl character it's her mother it's america ferrera um although like i, I heard somebody talking on twitter and i don't mean to steal their thought because i forget who said this but like it's strange because you think America Ferrera should be like the heart of the movie, and it's not. It's Ryan Gosling, <laughs> like somehow steals that show. Um, you know, it, it, to me, I wondered if like maybe that was even well, like a, I mean, a test screening thing of just like, oh, he's testing. No, well. no, make no, the no, movie no. more about him. But no, geez. that's a very that's a very simple thing that I feel like modern Hollywood 
and critics in particular overlook, which is that Ryan Gosling is a fucking movie star in America. He's a movie star. is not. She's not. And so if you put him on screen next to her, it's like if you put... You know, fucking if you if you if you put Cary Grant next to to America Ferrera, the movie becomes about yeah. Cary Grant. You know, like yeah, this, is, yeah. this is how movies no, I mean, stars there's definitely work. an element of that to it. And I mean, also, I think it's funny that like, you know, you have a movie starring like two of the hottest genuine movie stars out right now, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, yeah. and there's like zero sexual anything. I mean, it's it's a joke in well, the movie that they're, they're like both, asexual and like. Yeah. But, but those like, are both two very weirdly sexy. And, and then actors. the film that was that was sexy was the Oppenheimer. <laughs> I was like, yeah. well, it's a funny kind of you know. As far as I mean, there's no real reason to kind of stick the movies together in a conversation, other than the fact that they came out on the same day. And I did watch uh, them on the, the fact same day. That Barbie but... was your favorite movie of the year, and Oppenheimer is your second favorite. I, no, movie. Well, my, my, here's I mean, here's... Oppenheimer. I'll say pairs well with my favorite of the favorite movie of the year which was uh godzilla minus one yeah uh, but um, I, I think uh, but th- that's a better only, double feature thing my main barbie yeah. oppenheimer observation is this mm-hmm. is that uh if any top 10 list because i was going through what are what are the movies everybody thinks are the best of the year and like critics are hopeless i don't know what happened <laughs> no like it's if you read like the new york times list you're like oh like what i mean there the were a lot of movies this year that like power but my observation is this, yeah. is that if a list has anatomy of a fall on it, it will also have Barbie. And if a, <laughs> uh, 10 times true. out of 10. And if a list has yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon on it, it also has Oppenheimer on it. 10 okay. times out of 10. Right. Well, but the opposites are not true. I, I if it has I, Oppenheimer, I would, uh, it doesn't necessarily have Killers of the yeah, Flower Moon. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the, the category Barbie, where I think Oppenheimer have anatomy of a fall. You know, if I was going to do a top 10 list, I think Oppenheimer would make the would cut. Would be in my and, top 10. And sure. Killers of the Flower Mind Moon too. wouldn't. And I think would like, it be part in your reason... bottom 10 to do its incredible fucking whack, terrible lameness? This right, is, well, this is, we'll do talk you about want to movie. talk about Killers of the that Flower movie Moon? Because it's awful. And Martin Scorsese right. just gets away with it. That movie is F minus awful. And it is so goddamn lame. It is so but, fucking whack. It is terrible. It is boring. It is poorly written. It is the, the writing structured. Is... It's badly shot. The musical sequences, anytime there's a musical cut, it's garbage. It's horrible, horrible movie. Like Lily Gladstone, I think, you know, I've liked no, her since certain No, women. she fucking is terrible in it. But, let, let me finish. Flat as a tire. <laughs> let me finish. I've liked her since uh, certain women. I, I think like all the, you know, you've got um, like, you know, all these resources for production design. Gorgeous. You have all these great things it's to work with. It's not gorgeous. What? No, no. Let me finish. <laughs> you've got all these great things to work with. And it's all like piled on a script that's like, terribly structured it's completely the wrong way to tell this story which i haven't read the i haven't read the book so like i didn't want to comment on the movie too much when it came out because i feel like a lot of my criticism i didn't want to have people be like well that's the way it actually happened but it's like i i think like the way it's it's structured completely does a disservice to the story and when people are talking about like oh it makes the osage look naive like a part of that is because like the audience is privy to information before those characters are so you have scenes with that are like you know them sitting around discussing like who could be responsible for these these flower moon killings and Robert De Niro's like hmm, I wonder who and it it reads as like comical because you know 
from the beginning and he's like you know very close to the mustache twirling villain and it, it just makes everyone else look like an idiot because you know it, it it seems obvious to you as an audience and like lily gladstone's character it's like hmm i wonder who could be responsible for all these killings in my life what do you think ghoulish husband who has inserted himself into my life like Mar martin don't give it away <laughs> I haven't seen it. I don't know the end of this murder mystery. All right. John, the end of John, the, this movie I mean, it's not a murder so mystery because boring. it tells you everything ahead of the ahead of the characters who you should be caring about. You know, it's it's a reverse murder mystery. It's like, you know, you find out because you're watching Leo DiCaprio do awful shit. And like also the character's a complete idiot. I know like Paul Schrader kind of made his comments about Killers of the, of the Flower Moon, where he's like, three and a half hours to spend with following an idiot is like too long or something like that and like i thought i mean like you know some of it is clearly kind of looking at uh terrence malick's uh, visuals it's got jack fisk doing the production design it's got like so i thought i thought like oh is he going to do like um like a new world type thing where it changes perspective if it starts with dicaprio and then like halfway through kind of shifts and it doesn't you just totally have dicaprio the whole way through who i thought should have been the main character should have been uh jesse plemons character showing up from the first like that should have been the first scene in the movie is like hmm i'm here to investigate and like i'm getting turned away and like it should have actually maybe you should structure it like a murder mystery and i mean there's a whole other like ethical conversation about like dramatizing real events real tragedies in a way that's like uh, mystery literature but like i think that would have worked so much better for this than that kind of like you know, nonfiction book, like telling you events as they're happening in the order that they're happening in the least kind of dramatic way possible, you know, to the point where it's like, like, why the, are you watching bottom, this trial scene? Because we've already like, as an yeah. audience, we've seen this all. We know the who's bottom guilty. Line who's about not, this you know. movie is that it's exceptionally boring. And you know, it's a boring <laughs> movie because the conversation at the very beginning is no, 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 no. It's boring on purpose. That was almost straight out the gate is that I know it's a real slog, but he's trying to do that rhythm wise. And when you actually see that, oh that's the... not the case at all. He is not the, trying to right. do that. The, the you're going to have to let me send us a sentence. I know you're pulling a thunderbird right. to give me a taste of my own medicine. No, no. Well, I was to just going to say what, what I really hated was the soundtrack. And yes. I know, you well, know, I shouldn't say I'm this, like Canadian that... National Treasure yeah. recently passed away, but it was so monotonous and it's like... Like, I think it was trying to do something a little bit like the soundtrack for Dead Man, where it's just that kind of like strumming along, but it like it was so repetitive and it was like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore after three hours. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I think it's that, that really kind of added to that like weird yeah. kind of monotonous rhythm. Um, I don't, and there were like, there were films this year that are like on people's top 10 lists that I was like, well, I'd like to keep talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> i was gonna like do a whole thing where I, I wanted to read the book and do like a proper critique but since we're talking about it let's let's just go for it because like you don't want to say something about like huh i can't believe they let that get by and yeah i didn't want to have somebody on twitter be like well actually it really happened that way like i i don't well, care what, but like, why does that matter to you that shouldn't well, matter because everyone in the everyone in the movie seems like an idiot like everyone Every character seems like an idiot. It's like insane. Yes, everybody, <laughs> it, but it's, but they don't seem like idiots. They seem like poorly written things. Yeah, That's no, what I, I that is the real, they don't, they don't necessarily the see dumb. They seem like 
one step behind the audience, like you're saying yeah. at all times. Everyone's, one step, yeah. Everybody's one step behind the audience, even the people who are supposedly masterminding stuff, right? Are one yeah. step behind. Yeah. And it's just extremely dull for that reason. There's Can I say no the one thing I did into a fire like too. about the movie though? There's, I mean, there's certainly like a lot All right, of well, the, the, I mean, I, like in terms of uh, not just like the basic elements, but like one thing I really did like about the film is that the epilogue wasn't just like, pictures of the real people yeah <laughs> and I, I like you know i love uh historical films and i've just grown to hate this thing of like at the end of the movie it's like oh here are the photographs of the real people passing by or real yeah. footage of you know, like and i love that instead of doing that they did the epilogue with the radio show that that was the thing yeah. I, I genuinely liked about the film that like they recapped it and it's explained that's, what that's the best the... that's the best thing to expect after this four-hour movie is it's it's the very it's very tenured movie it's it's you know it's you know what movie it reminds me of is the aviator um <laughs> and uh which is as big an yeah. insult as there is for a movie um john i wanted to hear what you thought about barbie before we I... we got swept away from it you didn't see it didn't see barbie you didn't see oppenheimer didn't see, oh, Oppenheimer? You didn't see Oppenheimer. I, I feel like you would actually like Oppenheimer. I mean, Christopher Nolan, I mean, I don't know how he's ended up in this niche of like the big spectacle guy because I think he's like terrible at that. Like I thought like Tenet yeah. was like a bad movie, like on multiple Tenet levels. Well, 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 what's um, weird is about him is he's not a good action director. No, and, and people he's, will and get he's making action if movies. you say that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Oppenheimer's like, what's, great. What's great about Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer is like, oh, the, like this is kind of what he's great. he's good at. This is what he's suited for. And it feels like a while since he's done anything that like actually plays to his strengths. I think because he did the Batman movies, he somehow got like pigeonholed into like, oh, he's our he's our action guy right now. But like he's like you said, terrible at action. And I think like terrible at at spectacle. I know I think he's not a spectacle guy, even though like a lot of his films are sort of centered on spectacle. I mean, it was funny, like I was talking to James Hancock and he said like the one thing that disappointed him about Oppenheimer was the explosion. He was like, oh, I was expecting it to be this like big, really impressive, <laughs> you know, the Trinity explosion, which like realistically I know uh, was relatively small, but like it's sort of funny that that was his one issue with it. And um you know the stuff that's just people in a room talking it's it's gripping and uh, oppenheimer as a as a character in the film how he's approached um honestly like i didn't really know much about oppenheimer aside from the science and that he was you know a guy in the cool hat who kind of talked like a poet even though he was a scientist um but like it was interesting to me that he's presented as a character without an ideology and christopher nolan is a filmmaker who i feel like like people have tried to attack like those Batman movies and things saying like, oh, they're kind of Bush era conservative or this or that. But like, really, I think he's kind of a, a filmmaker without an ideology. And I know like a he's lot a, of his he's a complete say, formalist. I mean, everything is boring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, like, everything a lot of, uh, that you could negatively say about Stanley Kubrick applies to, to Christopher Nolan. A, a lot and... of his his uh, collaborators say like, oh, he's just focused on the work. He, and like, it's interesting that the film kind of critiques this idea of like Oppenheimer being somebody who's so focused on the work that he doesn't really think about the ideology of what he's doing, about the implications of what he's doing, who just kind of creates something because it can be created. And then once it's done, realizes that like, oh, like shit, it's out of my hands and I've done something that can't be undone. And like, what are the consequences of being a creator without a philosophy, without an ideology? And I think like there was a sort of element of um, 
self-critique to the film that I thought was really interesting. It almost felt like, oh, maybe is he going to like grow as a filmmaker after this? I'm really curious to see what he does next. I hope it's not a, a James Bond movie or something, you know, because it feels like, oh, this could be a really good He's already invaded to... the James Bond movies. I mean, the San Diego movies aye, aye, are aye. like Chris Nolan movies anyway. I know it's 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 true, but like um, it felt like you know this could be. I mean, there's some stuff in the film that I think is like perfectly all right to critique. Not everything in the movie works. Some stuff is kind of like surprisingly sloppy, but also it felt like oh, like this is an artist kind of grappling with what he's here for and what he's really doing and i think like you know setting aside the kind of historical perspectives on the movie it's just kind of interesting to see christopher nolan kind of being like like what am i doing you know i kind of felt that coming through in the film um and that's uh, interesting I, yeah no i i, I thought it was really Since good you like, guys I, have good things yeah. to say about it, i will see it i mean i I, I sat it out, you know, it wasn't like, yeah. you know, a work and I protest or anything. It was just like, you know, everyone's up high on Chris Nolan. I'm just, it's yeah. not for me. I'm going to I mean, sit it out. It's, like I'm it's, somebody the who way thought, his, like, his aesthetic is just everything that's wrong with movies to me. Sure. These days. And like, you know, I, I hated Dunkirk. I hated Tenant. Uh, I, I really, I really like this one. And he's not like, you know, somebody I hate on default. Like he's made films that I've liked, but it's just, I feel like he fell into this weird niche that he's completely not suited to and this almost felt like him kind of <laughs> crawling out of it finally so you know it was exciting to watch and it's got like half of hollywood in it there, there's so many famous actors that like it, at a certain point i found it like a little bit distracting i'm like not everyone needs to be like a famous person yeah but, uh, a, a lot of the cast is good not not everyone but like a lot of it and um it was sort of funny i, I was tweeting about that uh there's a line in the film when they're talking about like you know which cities they should bomb and you know it's sort of an interesting scene where they're like oh well like do we even have to bomb a city can't we just like demonstrate that we could and they're like no we, we have to like actually do this and um uh oh god I, sh I forget the general's name but uh you know when he says uh well you know i'm gonna scratch like kyoto off the list because i i spent my honeymoon there and it's this completely kind of arbitrary thing that you know means the difference between life or death for like an entire city and I'm like, oh, you know, that's a great line. And then, you know, I was tweeting about it. And then people were saying like, oh, that wasn't in the script. That was a James Remark edition. I'm like, of course, that, you know, the best line in the movie, like, oh, it, it was too good for that script. So, you know, there's a couple things like that, you know. That's Remark uh, for you. Yeah, no, I'm like, that, that. I guess so. That was like too too subtle to come from that screenplay. But, you know, for the most part, I, I think it's it's an excellent film. And, you know, there are things that still kind of, bugged me about it like the the sound design I, I thought like the music was terrible I'm like like just get Philip Glass like there's no reason not to at this point yeah. or you know um if you want that like repetitive kind of operatic building thing like like Philip Glass does that just get him don't bother with this like crappy imitation shit yeah um, but, well, like, I'll, ch I'll check it out since like... you guys yeah since you guys say it's good I will definitely check it out before we get yeah. too far off though of uh Scorsese, you know, uh, knocking people mm. off their ped uh, pedestals. Uh, although I don't think he needs any help, honestly. Michael Mann this year, uh, Ferrari. I think we have to talk about for a minute oh because uh, you know it's fucking awful, and it has popped I, up on a few best lists. And I, I was dreading this. I uh, it's, it's like there I was, are no characters. I was looking forward to Ferrari for like the longest time, and I was too. And like, there are no characters. And in this after movie. years and years and years of waiting for this movie, I saw the trailer. I'm like, 
Oh shit! <laughs> this might suck. This oh Jesus! Bad. It's awful! It's awful! You know Adam Driver acts Adam like Adam Driver. He 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 performs like he's worried that if he acts, his makeup will fall off. And <laughs> Shailene Woodley is not. I mean, before I thought she was a charisma yeah. boy, but she's a disaster in this film. She, she has three entirely long scenes with him. I don't know anything about her character. I don't know who she is. I mean, she, I feel like I was quite shocked like to find out she was like... supposed to be Italian. That was the most well, shocking yeah, part. She couldn't, she couldn't later, in, later in the film, you're like, wait, this is supposed to be another Italian lady? Not some the fucking knows? American teenager who wandered into the adult stable. Penelope Cruz, God bless her, you know, does is doing what she can, but there's just nothing. There's no there's mm -hmm. no material in yeah. this movie. It's just, My, you know, one race, a boring car crash. How does that happen? It seems like a car crash it's boring. Been like, My, it's been gestating for it. such a long time. You would think it would be like, like some kind of magnum opus or something. But it, why it, would you think just, that? Uh, because like man seems to have stuck to this project for such a long time. It's like, okay, he's got to have something in there that he wants to show or tell with this. But like, yeah, yeah like the writers died. You know, the producer died. It's like you know, it's this thing that you just feel like, Look, well, they're they're still you know trying to get this made. But but the my joke about it was is that it's so generic. It might as well have been directed by Ridley Scott, right? It looks like a Ridley which, Scott which film, is, but, which but, which is yeah. being too nice. But I, I was say. going to say <laughs> when I found out the genesis of the project, hearing Michael yeah. Mann talk about developing it and trying to get it together with his good bud Sidney Pollock, it was like, oh. Well, that explains that fucking movie. Also, Imagine if Sidney Pollack had directed that thing and adjust your expectations accordingly. Sure. This shit I mean, is a well, Sidney Pollack movie that also, we got delivered like, in 2023. Um, it's a Christmas again, movie. Again, I've only seen the trailer, but like for me... Wait, you haven't seen was... Ferrari? No. <laughs> oh <laughs> what, am God. I crazy? No. Uh, but like, John, Let me talk to John about it a well, little bit. No, I, I just want to say, like, for me, like, Michael Mann, one of the interesting things that he had been doing in the past, like, second half of his career, yeah. you know, was the digital video shooting, yeah. the way his films looked and the way he kind of embraced that yeah. digital aesthetic in a way that, like, I feel like a lot of filmmakers were trying to, like, make digital look like film, and he just wasn't interested in that at all. And I feel like now that digital cameras have kind of created the ability to emulate film better. Like his movies have lost something for me stylistically. Like I watched a little bit of his uh, Tokyo Vice show and I'm like, this looks boring. Like I feel like I would, I almost wish he would go back and like grab a, a Viper camera, a digital camera from like 2008 and shoot Ferrari on that. I'm like, at least it would kind of look interesting or feel like there would be a deliberate choice. Instead, it feels like it has no real style or something nothing, i don't nothing know would you improve know. the movie it's a story about <laughs> yeah. some pretentious italian asshole who cheats on his wife and has a oh, kid boy. and it's like great how's a gucci too it I, is <laughs> how's a good it's, it's crazy that these those two movies exist together that he's another yeah. with, sleazy with italian businessman who's yeah. with a mad wife because he's cheating on her it's nuts john oh, you boy. know what i found was most incredible is the opening black and white sequence right, right. where it's him driving in the car and it looks like a fucking funny youtube clip it looks when people like insert themselves like regular youtubers into like old black and white footage it is the crummiest most low rent looking thing i've ever seen in my life it's not looks bad how looks bad, bad it looks yeah um fortunately the rest but that's what martin's advocating for he wanted the movie to look like that unfortunately <laughs> but um but uh but the rest at least, of it is at least that might have looked interesting instead of generic you know what i mean like 
No. Um, no. But, <laughs> you just did to Richard's No, there's no, no. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing that can be done to save this. Movie. Okay. This this movie um, is it's like Killers of the Flower Moon, and that just like the idea for how they're going to do this is so fundamentally bad that that there I just don't think there's any there's no way with their concept to make this an interesting movie. It has nothing to it. You know, but John, you're a much bigger Michael Mann fan than I am. Michael Mann, for me, is a director who made two movies that I think are really, really great, legitimately great movies and a lot of other sort of iffy stuff and frequently cheesy stuff. You know, I know people love Heat, but that movie's like cheeseball stuff. You know, that movie's like suburban dad stuff you know, which is completely fine and has its place in the world. But I tend not to think of him as a truly great director the way you do, with the exception of Ali and The Insider, which I do think are two truly great movies. And Miami Vice. Yeah, Miami Vice, I, I, I love, love a lot. Vice. Do I think of Miami? Miami Vice is like Thief to me, where I'm like, that's really, really great. Is that like, again, it's like Martin saying, is this, is this you know, war and peace we're talking about here? No, we're not, you know? And so... Is the disappointment different for you, John? Do you have a different relationship to that movie? Well, I guess I, if I'm being honest, you know, when your heroes are aging, we've talked about Cronenberg last year and, you know, people like that who just, yeah, they, there's something that gets lost. I don't know what it is. You know, I, it's, uh, it's hard to, to position it exactly. I, I don't know why Michael Mann was so passionate about this particular story. When I heard Michael Mann plus history of Ferrari, I thought, oh yeah, I could see, I know exactly what he'd be interested in. Not this. Not this yeah. at all. Again, it's House of Gucci. It's total melodrama, and it's not at all what I expected. And uh, yeah, it just sat up on the screen with nothing. Uh, jokes that fell flat, car crashes that were boring. Uh, it's just it seemed that there was no verve or passion to this that you would expect from a Michael Mann movie. No discovery, even something like Public Enemies, where it's not particularly good film, but you know, it's you can see why Michael Mann wanted it's to make restless. it. It's restless. And it is, yeah. It's trying to discover something. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd be happy if she wins an Oscar, though. I love her, obviously, and she's she acquits herself as well as she can in this movie, you know. But she's one yeah. of the best actresses, yeah, in, in films, obviously. But yeah. uh, but oh, just everybody else. Oh, just everything, everything. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. You told you told um, me it was bad. I I just didn't. I you know I kind of thought you meant how Chris sees Michael man most Michael Mann movies is bad. <laughs> Not like no. I, I knew when uh, when Marcus Penn said it was it was. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marcus has no comment. Watch out for sure. Yeah, there is um, no director he likes that he cannot find a way to speak up their worst shit. I would say, I'd say uh, Marcus Pinn saying a movie you've heard mixed reviews about is good is a red flag. If the reviews are like mixed and Marcus is like it's good, oof, you're in for a bad one. <laughs> but let's let's go back to the positive real quick here, Martin. Uh, Wes Anderson made a good movie this year. Do you know that? Uh, are you talking about his his Rodal short films? Yes, I, I got, agree. I, I was <laughs> jumped in front of me there. The wonderful, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Yeah, I was really um, surprised by. I thought it was great. I thought that that was a movie uh, where the, the, the actors rat catcher, were fantastic. Swan. I agree. The ones were okay. Think, the, Henry um, Sugar especially was very good, and it's all yeah, about Ben Kingsley. I, I, I was thinking about this even before I saw the shorts. Just when I was watching Asteroid City, I think we were even talking a little bit about this over Twitter. Where it seems like. He's just not interested in the types of stories that make feature-like films anymore. Mm -hmm. And like 
you know, Asteroid City, but between all the framing devices and all the different characters, it feels like oh, this shouldn't have even have been like a feature film. And then watching those Rodal shorts, I'm like, oh, this feels so much better. This feels right. This is like what he's. Yeah, Asteroid City feels like in. it gets bored with what it's doing. So it yeah, just no, switches over I, to something else and then goes and back it, to. It's like, you yeah. know, not every, I mean, not every filmmaker needs to be interested in like feature length storytelling. I mean, short films can be as as worthwhile as feature films and you know I, I think like these just feel so much more kind of in tune with where he's at as a filmmaker also can i mention while we're talking about this that um nicholas winding refn managed to make a six hour long short film this year with the uh, <laughs> cowboy um you know it was sort of funny to me because like too old to die young i thought like oh it was this big kind of like zeitgeist grappling magnum opusy attempting kind of thing and then like copenhagen cowboy feels like the complete opposite where it's just like ah, i'm making a movie with my family and friends for a while and i'm making it up as i go along and you know it has that feeling of like uh, a short film and you know the the way it insinuates things instead of elaborating on things it's like oh this this feels so I, like i'm shocked that you can make a film that's uh you know, or a six episode long TV show or however long it was feel so slight. And um, I, I didn't hate it. I, I was like, oh, this is this is cool. But, you know, it felt like such a minor work uh, compared to Too Old to Die Young. But uh, I liked it. I, I mean, I feel like I would put I would put uh, that kind of on the same level as the Wes Anderson short films. Apparently he got the money from Netflix. He was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do a follow-up to my uh, pusher movies. And they're like, oh, that sounds great. Here's here's money. And then he's like, and I just didn't feel like doing that. And I did something different. <laughs> and then he came up with this uh, thing, which really does feel like you can kind of tell that he's making it up as he goes along. I mean, he's said as much, but it's like, you know, there's a scene where she's saying, you know, I was abducted. And you're like, okay. And then she goes, by aliens. It's like, did you just throw that in there? Like, it makes me think of, um, I, I heard Bill Pope talking about, uh, or not Bill Pope. I, well, I heard somebody talking about working on Team America Ruled Police once and how, like, they had to reel in Trey Parker and Matt Stone because, like, they would make jokes that would potentially alter the course of the movie. And it's like, you know, me and Spotswood and the baby and they're like you can't make that joke because we have to go back and change stuff if you make that joke so you know to me the the copenhagen cowboy kind of felt a little bit like that where it's just like i'm throwing this out there because it's just what i feel like today and you know it had that kind of there was something you know actually sort of lively and fun to seeing a filmmaker just kind of doing whatever and you know even though the end result is kind of messy and slight it's like oh that was that was fun i like well, lively, <laughs> lively and fun are the words i mean i yeah. didn't i didn't think of it in terms of like length i didn't think of it as short film versus long film feature film but i when i saw wonderful story of henry sugar i thought like this is like rushmore energy that he hasn't yes. had for yeah. a long time he seems like a lot more about like having a good time and the swan i think is the other good one yeah where yeah. it just like it feels it has that taps into that old energy and hey if reffin and anderson yeah. can use their and power also, to I, like I you know like, bring short um, films to netflix and yeah. have short films be a form again i'm all for it you know that would be a great use of their power i think like world doll's material just works well with wes anderson like for whatever reason he seems to get like excited about it i really love uh fantastic mr fox i think that's one of the best things he's done oh, and it I just hate like that movie is you, it you I, that? I didn't see the henry sugar stuff john okay. is it is is this stuff better than fantastic mr fox or is it more of the same it's more of the same <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> Dennis, Mr. Fox, I will say, is a movie I hated when I saw it when it came out, and uh, I've i liked it more. I like it more now because my daughter really loves it, and I can when we my, watch my, it together, I really my niece it. is really uh, my my well my cousin's daughters really. It's like their favorite it movie has, ever. Like, it has it's not an, it's not animated. I can throw that you know, so you yeah, won't be upset has, with like you know the animation. I mean, some stuff well, like the, not the, the animated is sort figure. of animated and like. But I but I will say yeah. what I dislike about Fantastic Mr. Fox is it has none of the sense of meanness of the right kind of meanness of Roald Dahl. And so it has a kind of like thoughtless cruelty to it instead of pointed meanness, right? Is is it misses Dahl in a way that's really profound and ends up making it unlikable to me um, in a way that I find... The reason I'm not into Wes Anderson's movies normally is not anything aesthetic or intellectual. It's that I purely find them unlikable. I find him unlikable as a filmmaker and populated with characters that I find unlikable in situations okay, that I find these, unlikable. Yeah. And well, so, it's funny, you know, Jordy, Jordy liked it as well. Yeah. And she said, Roald Dahl would hate this. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> I think you're yeah. probably yeah. I, I think Chris, you you so might. So I don't think your old doll, you know, your loyalty <laughs> to him will will make you endure this thing to you in any way. But yeah, uh, it's 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 beyond that for me though. And Ray Fine is very good as old doll. I'll throw that. I, out. I, I love like Ray Fine's like just his rat face is so good. Yeah, <laughs> I like the way since the it's air good. and stuff. It's it's yeah. No, I I, I really enjoyed those um, much more than Asteroid City. Chris, what's another film you loved in 2023? The movie I really enjoyed was You Hurt My Feelings, the Nicole Holoff Center movie. She remains one of the most underrated directors in the world, straight by virtue of the fact that her titles are terrible. Like, nobody wants to see You Hurt My Feelings. I feel like <laughs> bad even mentioning it. She is, she is, when people talk about the death of middle-class cinema, right? And that kind of shit that the critics are on. This, this is the kind of stuff they actually mean. They're thinking of like Woody Allen and Paul Mazursky movies. That's what they think is gone. And she continues to make intelligent, very well-written, very well-performed movies about middle-class and upper-middle-class anxieties and relationships. And this one is very, very observant about, you know, uh, about the lies that are necessary to keep a relationship together. And and how and sort of the irony between if these lies are ever recognized it falls apart you know it, it's the kind of thing where they're both necessary and destructive you know like they're both the thing that ends it and doesn't and uh, I really thought it was um, like all of her movies it's funny and charming I like her movies with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and uh, I feel like I haven't heard it talked about virtually at all in end of year stuff I feel like Holofcener always gets overlooked and she continues to be excellent i think she's one of those filmmakers that when you sit down and look at her body of work 15 years from now you're going to be like god damn she was one of the greats of that era and everybody's going to start treating her that way and um and but at the time and then they'll act like oh she must have been feted in her day and it's not necessarily true that's great it was a surprising selection i did not know you were going to bring that one up uh, well, the seen, other I, the other one I was going to bring up is the D and D movie's good. I like I the D and D movie too. I, I like the D and D movie a lot. It's so much fun. I was really surprised, but I mean, those guys made the Vacation remake and they made Game Night. There, those guys are funny and clever and cool. I don't know. They they make fun stuff. So yeah. I shouldn't have been those surprised. They are good. 
in the uh, sort of same vein, I, I feel like I should mention a movie that I also thought was delightful. Uh, another Netflix movie. It's uh, You Were So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, right? Sammy Co- directed by Sammy Cohen, but really, you know, kind of the brainchild of the uh, Happy Madison, Adam Sandler gang and starring his family. It was a charming film, just a straight up charming film about friendship. Uh, that was that was fun. And I liked it. And funny enough that I enjoyed it and laughed at it. And uh, yeah, I would I would see more movies like that. I, you know, we Chris, don't speak for both of us. I, you know, I support the Happy Madison establishment for all of their flaws, for all the things that they, you know, kind of churn out. I, you know, I always want to see the new Happy Madison movie. And I'm always glad that uh, when when nepotism like, you know, works out well, like in this case, (laughs) like when the daughter is actually really fantastic in this lead role. uh, Yeah, I would advocate that film. I would say, yeah, best I agree. That's a very charming movie and the kind of movie that I feel like, again, even more so than Holofcener, that movie is not going to get its due in any way, shape or form. Of I don't know what not. that critical, critical response to it is, but it's it's very likable and it's going to stick around because it works. Yeah, I'd see more like it if he wants to kind of stick in that sort of <laughs> young adult vein. But uh in, in the like what is actually better than spider-verse you know a question you already brett mentioned pictures of ghosts which we should circle back to and uh yeah um, and, and let's, uh, let's say in the and episode that okay that sounds good um but i'm gonna throw out last summer Catherine brea's new film which you know oh, for anyone God, who yeah. loves brea you're not going to be disappointed this is her first film in years and we talked about it extensively on the toronto episode of course but uh uh just probably the best live action film of the year for me uh, live action narrative film it was uh fantastic and yeah. just want just love that so good did you see that one martin no i haven't seen it ah it's great it's prime brayat it really is and like we talked about on the the tiff episode she did the few she did i love bluebeard and and sleeping beauty is interesting and and all I, that I like but, it, beauty and but it feels weakness, like fantastic yeah well but this feels like a real movie again you know, okay. where you're sort of worried, like Bluebeard and Sleeping Beauty are clearly done for 15 cents. And you're like, <laughs> are we getting her and her, you know, mystery of Oberwald era, you know, kind of thing? Are we getting actual movies from her? And it's a real movie. And I agree with you. The the woman is probably the lead, my favorite performance of the year, too. I, I thought she oh, she's so good. Dominant. She's really and, good. Uh, yeah. Leah Drucker is very good in this film. Yeah. Very, very good one. I agree 100 percent on that as well. Martin, you got another one to throw out at us? Uh, sure. I really liked a movie this year about a retired action hero who gets forced out of retirement to do battle with some treasure-hungry Nazis. It's uh, Sisu, the new film by the same director as Rare Exports. <laughs> and um, I, I heard him talking. He said, like, oh, you know, this isn't a war film. It's um, it's an action movie set during the war, which I, I think is sort of an important distinction. And I think, like, I found this year really lackluster for action movies. Um, I think like, you know, for a while, the trend was like the the shaking camera. Everybody got sick of that, that kind of born kicked off and got overused and badly done. And then it kind of switched over to like the old boy, uh, children of men kind of like long takes, stitched together takes. And like, I, I'm so sick of that now. And I'm so sick of like, you know, the John Wick, like, I know those are directed by like a former stunt coordinator, but it feels like it really feels like it's directed by a stunt coordinator and like a lot of films, it feels like the director just hands it over to the stunt coordinator and doesn't think about the shots. And it's just like, here's the wide shot of people doing the perfectly 
rehearsed choreography and it feels like so kind of lifeless and you know for me Zizu one of the things I really liked about it like you know I think in terms of impressive action like yeah you can watch uh, Extraction 2 or John Wick 4 but like they they don't really have that same kind of impact as like you know the build-up the editing the thought about the shots and the feeling of like oh wow that that knife went to that Nazi's head or like the joy of oh wow that guy just jumped on a moving tank you know there's like a real feeling of like the action was done by a director who thought about the shots and thought about the the feeling that the action should be conveying from moment to moment um you know and it goes like over the top by the end but it's it's so much fun and i think like axel henny plays the the nazi villain and he's really good in it you know the villain is kind of the one who gets to do most of the acting because the hero the hero just gets beat up for most of it but he was in the trip which i mentioned last year and i feel like this movie kind of gets my uh, whatever the trip was last year award for just being like a really <laughs> entertaining movie and you know I, I did a podcast earlier this year with uh, two gentlemen from finland and we were kind of talking about finnish movies after we were recording we talked about the year and they were like oh, like you know sisu's good but it's so hollywood and i'm like yeah but like Hollywood's not doing that as well as it used to, you know, and um, I, I just found this movie to be so entertaining and it's, it's like, it doesn't let anything kind of get in the way of being exciting or fun, you know, like, you know, historically, like, is that the right tank? No, not at all, but they have a tank. It's, it's fine. Just, you know, we're not going to let details get in the way of making a, a fun movie and, um, and also just like the the landscape, the finished landscape looks incredible. Like I feel like that's so much production value just by going in or, well, you know, really filming there and seeing how it looks and it, it feels like you're on top of the world. It it looks great. It's exciting. It's, I, I for my money, I, I think it's the best action movie of the year. You know, there's some stuff like I didn't hate like uh, Silent Night, but it, it's also just like, ah, this is John Woo past his prime or... You know, again, like Extraction 2, it's unapologetic compared to the first film about basically just being the kind of film that uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme would have done 30 years ago. But like, I don't know, I was watching a bunch of uh, Darius Merjoui films because he was, you know, shockingly murdered this year. And like Gold Shift of Ferrani was in a bunch of his early films. That's or, Well, not his early films, her early films. That's kind of where she got her start. And like watching um, Extraction 2 again, I'm like, Oh, there's something kind of like painful about getting like an actor who you know is good and she's just like spouting like action schlock dialogue like like how you doing better than that guy it's like oh <laughs> you know um but it, it's fun like i mean that that film i thought was all right but like there were a couple action movies this year like you know especially well, see, like i'll say sizu you know i, I appreciate yeah. how sizu does not shy away from like the horror of war atrocities and like the nightmarish reality of war while also it, being a movie about a though, guy like it's, you know it, it's, surviving uh, getting you know impaled on a it, it's not about the oh. atrocities of war it's about like the i mean the violence is so like tarantino kind of violence like it's i i think well, that it's, was it's not this, interested in this the real is why i didn't like, like that movie as much yeah. we saw this at tiff 2022 mm. and it's definitely fun and it definitely plays yeah. but there's no question this is like direct to video tarantino knockoff type stuff and it's, like it's, in it's fine but but it makes you it know hard what, though, for me like, to get really behind it because it's excited to have like 
the Tarantino font and the Morricone inspired soundtrack. And it just feels like this movie I file in my head with like uh, two days in the Valley and eight heads in a duffel bag. And I, I hear what you're saying. I, I stuff, think you're, you know, and it's, yeah. and it's good. It plays right. But to me, it's like, I would like it if the filmmaker exhibited his own personality. And since he exhibits the personality of a filmmaker, I don't care very much for. It's like, you know, it's like I, fucking I Joe Carnahan. Saying, but, but listen, it's an action movie that came out Smoking this year that Aces has too. a personality. And I think when you look at like the big release action movies this year, like Indiana Jones 5 has no personality. Well, Mission Impossible, whatever, yeah, has no personality. You yeah, know, but I, I think, think like I, I think I, I think, think like this my problem film... is that it has as little personalities as those movies. I really I, I don't do, think Martin. that's true. I, I think you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong, Chris, and you should not talk about this. <laughs> but like, you know, I think I like just, there's a I real think people well, can watch it for yourself, but don't expect to right, come right. out of it and go, here's what that filmmaker is. You'll go, okay, okay he's one of those like... guys who loves to like you know, if he would he'd be he'd be doing a freeze frame on a guy with, you know funk music playing and like you know jimmy specialty you know hitting guys with knives movie I, I in 1999 no if that's 98 if that's if he completely was around true. there well, that's he, what he is doing in this movie but like, I, I think like a lot of the version um, of it like a lot of the tarantino isms aren't the ones that bother me like the tarantino isms that bother me in like knockoff movies it's like the endless monologues that are like overly specific with details that are just terrible like yeah. you know the the cool like you said guy like for me like the tarantino stuff in this it's more just um the violence the kind of uh pacing and editing which i'm honestly i'm fine with like if you want to watch something that feels like it's the fun like a knockoff of like Django attitude. set in World War II, like yeah. kind of a movie. Like I, I think like this was really yeah. cool. And there's a feeling of like, like you know, the guy walking towards the minefield, and then you see the mine falling out of the mist and whacking the guy in the forehead and blowing. Like you know, there's a feeling of somebody actually thought about how to make this exciting, which is something that I was really like wanting this year from action movies. I feel like there was a. There's it, a lack you know of what, care you know in it, trying to funny. make this action have any kind of personality and any kind of build up. You it know? reminded me of, um, yeah. and maybe this is just being old man stuff, and um, mm. Lloyd Kaufman talking about in his book where he talks about Bullet, where Steve McQueen takes a piss after the end of the big car chase, right? right. And how in modern action movies, it's all just these cartoon characters, these action figures with no piss holes, right? And that's this. that's the most <laughs> Tarantino thing about it to me is that like, uh, none of it is human in any way it's all cartoon stuff and it's as close to being a horror movie as an action movie because the violence does reach such phantasmagoric mm -hmm. heights and i think that to me that's what makes it tarantino-y is a is a kind of cartoon disregard for anything resembling human behavior human emotion even though as i say that i just finally this year saw once upon a time in hollywood which is his best movie up until the last 20 minutes when it becomes a tarantino movie you know and this movie is is that fight scene and once upon a time in hollywood extended to feature length and i understand yeah. why so, people love it and i understand why people yeah. think it's cool but i also i just think it's fucking lame and played out <laughs> I just don't right. need stuff like that in my life. Chris, did you see been... May December? I did see May December. Did you like it? I did like it. I don't understand what Todd Haynes is doing. I like <laughs> it, but it's also like this was the most exciting, creative, unpredictable 
boundary form pushing filmmaker in the fucking world they, they when you start with with superstar through up until even i'm not there he's just constantly this is the most exciting filmmaker in the world this is the most original filmmaker in the world and like I, this is good i like it a lot all the performances are yeah. great I don't know that I need Todd Haynes doing this with his time, Although, but he's decided that's what he does with his time now. I feel like it's it's worse than his last couple movies, but I liked it more because, I mean, we were talking a little while Are you including the like... like I, I kind of miss the Todd Haynes that was transgressive and, you know, kind of an outsider perspective. And I yeah. feel like he kind of went to making, you know, uh, Dark, dark Waters... Is, is that what it's called? The, yeah. the one about Teflon, um, yeah. you know, and films that were kind of respectable and classy and very well made, but like, you know, missing something that attracted me to his films in the first place. And I think like May, December isn't, isn't quite on the level, like, well, I, I would say it's obviously not on the level of like uh, safe or, you know that kind of era of Todd Haynes, but it's... no question. But of all of like the age, but it's geniuses, the aged auteurs. Yeah. Do you still feel Todd Haynes I, in this I, movie? I, I think yeah. that's why I really yeah. liked it. Is because it felt like oh, like right. This is why I I'm excited about Todd Haynes, and it kind of felt like just a, a sort of return to like not a return to form, but a return to territory that um, I find really interesting compared to like some of his more recent films. And I like that even the. Even the stupid controversies that this film stirred up, I I like that like a Todd Haynes film could still be controversial. You know, I feel like that it's been a while since he's done anything that could be provocative in that way. So I I, I like it. Just and, the divisiveness, yeah. I think, has yeah. been really satisfying for me. When we have yes. our, our friends on DM are like, "Oh, I fucking hated it." And I, like, I love that actually. Yeah, yes. I love that. You know, it's like good. That makes me kind of like it more. I think. Because it has that kind of like weirdly subtextual subversion to it that, uh, again, I haven't seen Barbie. I don't know if other, you know, kind of commercial movies that say we're subversive are actually displaying, you know, that the way that this movie can do. I want to be a little more subversive, honestly. Um, sure, I, I guess I that would like, just uh, sort of like, you know, wanting it to be like a superstar or a poison or something like that. But but given well, what it is, I, always I interested really in me about Todd Haynes is also like his interest in how to film a person's life uh you know how to create a biopic or like I, I heard him talking about uh like how sometimes it's more interesting to do a thinly veiled biopic than an actual biopic because you can kind of insinuate things and make jumps that don't actually exist in reality and i, I feel like that's an idea that he's exploring a little bit in this one again that i haven't seen him sort of touch on for a little while but um you know it's interesting to me to see like footage of the real people that sort of inspired this and kind of how he approaches that material and sort of getting into ideas like how when we want to create biographies about these people we want to look for something sympathetic i mean like or not even sympathetic like natalie portman's character the actress like she's looking for something to latch on to and that's in so many biographical films like i was just watching the other day um iceman with uh, Michael Shannon and it's like, all oh, right, here's the scene where they explain that his father beat him as a kid. Like, you know, and I feel like one thing that I kind of liked about May, December is it's sort of about 
denying that and like i don't know maybe maybe she's just a fucked up person <laughs> you know but i, I kind of like that whole interplay between like these two minute manipulative people trying to get one over on each other and and that also does something which i i think more movies should do is just have characters lie or be wrong like i feel like so much of screenwriting people focus on trying to get information across and how do we get exposition across and you end up having a bunch of people just like telling the truth all the time they work so hard exactly to get you on the character's side yeah yeah and yeah. I, I love like one thing i like about this film is like shit i don't know what to believe <laughs> you know so i i feel like it's it's weaker than like uh some of his recent films but i i loved it more all right martin how about we do like a horror flash round real quick Okay, Go back uh, and forth because there's some interesting horror movies this year. I, yeah, every year there are. I, I mean, the funny thing is, like, I I never think there is a big in the last few years. I've never thought there's like a huge horror masterpiece, but I like every horror movie I see. They're just they're 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 good enough. You that, know, that's how I felt. It, like, I mean, aside from like some of the high profile bad ones, like the Exorcist sequel that I have already trashed. I, I thought there were a lot of like good horror movies you know and maybe not a masterpiece but like a lot of horror films that i liked i think last year might have been a little bit stronger but like cobweb i thought was good talk to me i thought was good um yeah the beginning of the <laughs> year the very first very first movie i saw in the theater was skin and marink which i'm not gonna like go gaga for it the way marcus does but like i yeah i was smiling the entire time i really i knew nothing going in so, you know, once I realized it was what it was, you know, it was like, this was a surprise. You know, this is something I didn't expect to see at a mall theater, you know, and I can't help but like, but like it for that reason. So, you yeah. know, that, that kind of set the tone of like, all right, well, horror movies are going to surprise me this much this year then I'm, I'm all for it. I really wanted to ask your opinion about suitable flesh. If you saw that and what you think didn't of it. see that one. Sorry. Oh, I'm surprised. Cause I think of you as like a, like a Stuart Gordon guy. I don't know if you'd consider yourself that, but. Yeah, I, you know, Joe Lynch called me an asshole on Twitter once. <laughs> and uh, All right, that, main, that's a good enough reason know, not to what, see the movie. You know what the main problem with Joe Lynch is? His complete lack of talent or taste. Okay, all right. That's his I, number one issue, is his inability to direct well. As I, a I filmmaker, if like, you asked me to criticize him, I would say the number one thing he needs to work on is being a director. In a way, it's kind of like the Indiana Jones. Thing. It really, it is like the Indiana yeah, Jones yeah. thing for me, where it's like it's got all the elements of Indiana Jones except yeah. Steven Spielberg, and it's like, it's, well, it's a Stuart that's Gordon what, movie. Except that's it's what Stuart Gordon Stuart is. Gordon. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. I, I think like that was kind of my issue with it too. And like, I liked. I mean, it's, although it's... although I never thought I would come to his defense, but th that's pretty low blow to compare Mangold to Joe Lynch. <laughs> that is, that's you're not being fair to Mangold there. Um, I'm sorry, Jim. But yeah, no, I, I, I was just curious about that because, like, I, I think it's actually kind of a good example of why Stuart Gordon was good. Is like, hey, not everybody can do this. Yeah. And I like, I liked, like, obviously, like a lot of the people involved worked with him, collaborated with. We him. know that nobody could just anyone could do this because Brian Yuzna tried to do it again and again <laughs> yeah, and again. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although yeah. I, I I have a soft spot for Brad Usna's directorial efforts, he's got one <laughs> or two fine ones. But like I mean, the, what it comes yeah. down to is like Stuart Gordon was you know, uh, yeah. those movies are great for a reason, and it's Stuart yeah. Gordon. But I, so I thought like I'll probably catch up it, with it at some it's, point. It's interesting as like a dude. Don't uh, you uh, won't like it? Yeah, that's uh, not worth it. I, I I'm sure you'll hate this, but I, I think like it, it's if you like Stuart Gordon, it's interesting to see 
what a film trying to imitate him that isn't him looks like you know i, I yeah. think like it, it's a uh, you know <laughs> it's, it's beyond reanimator i know what it is already oh no beyond reanimator is uh is much better than civil flesh oh okay <laughs> i i would say i i like beyond reanimator much more um but yeah no I, that was all i i was just kind of curious but um mm. In terms of horror films, I actually liked this year. I think probably my two favorites were uh, Cobweb and Talk to Me. I think they were just uh, like re really solid. And like Talk to Me, I liked how they captured the um, the kid, like the teenagers, their their energy, their vibe, like making videos while they're getting possessed by demons and stuff. I think like they're filmmakers who would do the same thing, and it would come across obnoxious and. Um, I guess it wasn't a way, but you know, it felt like intentional and it, it felt um, kind of true to just how like kids playing around with that would, would behave. It, um, would like that. it was certainly my favorite A24 product of the year. I mean, uh, the first half hour of Bo is Afraid was okay, but then it kept going. Oh, I hated Bo is Afraid. I don't even get me started. <laughs> it's, you know, I it created at least like a, a fun, abs absurd this, um... like, terror of the city at the beginning, but like, then it's it this just year's kept, kept uh what, what was that charlie kaufman movie where she goes to the parents house and then it it turns out it's like all in her head what was that called i forget it's it's this oh, year's right. that yeah, movie yeah 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 i'm thinking i'm thinking of ending things i'm thinking of ending things thank you um yep. yeah it's it's this year's i'm thinking of ending things so like i can i can kind of understand why some people are praising it but it was just like oh my god i can't stand this it seems movie. like people have forgotten it i have not seen it on a bunch of like end of the year's list yeah stuff, i don't so. think it's made it onto people's end of the year lists but um yeah no i i mean it's worth worth mentioning but yeah. Yeah. well but talk to me though I, yeah it was fun i liked it uh, the two horror movies i liked were uh when evil lurks which kind of got like a little bit of a you know buzz you know towards the end of the year you know, I, I wish seen that one yeah. i wish i had seen it in toronto before there was a buzz you know now i feel like i'm just kind of like you know riding that buzz and maybe i didn't actually like it that much but it's uh i want to see that director's next film is like definitely what i came away from like he's like a solid guy and uh now i had to yeah uh, grab his name real quick rugna damien rugna uh yeah solid director uh, and a really and a good film. It's you know kind of got the best formula of a horror movie, which is that the characters are trying to make things better and they make things much much worse. <laughs> you, know, you can't go wrong with that. Um, I like that a lot, and I liked a movie called Birth Rebirth, also on Shutter. Oh, I haven't seen that either. Almost like uh, a female reanimator, but like a much like a low key female reanimator, like okay. a more sensible reanimator. Um, that was yeah a really good like uh, a yeah, really great lead performance yeah i uh, really enjoyed that movie and uh, an actress from my uh film that i made years and years ago was uh, had a small part in it so that was nice. sarah Daisy charles oh okay she plays the mom in the video footage so i was really happy to see that uh, credit uh but that's, that's not the cool. reason i liked it it's a it's a genuinely good film uh and i should shout out Marin ireland is the lead actress she's very very good judy reyes is very good laura moss is the director um yeah i like that one too uh for the people who like stewart gordon movies without stewart gordon but <laughs> not trying to be stewart gordon necessarily infinity pool i was uh, a little more ambiguous about it's like once the big reveal kind of comes half hour into the movie it's like 
I, I can't think of any reason. And I really dislike, I don't want to say this every year, but I really just dis- actively dislike Mia Goth. And I just, you know, when <laughs> it becomes the Mia Goth show, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. So you and I are the only like anti Mia Goth people in the world, John. No, no. Really like when people are. were talking like, about You and I are the only, like, I don't have her. to watch people her. Love yeah. her. X and uh, like the Ty West movies. I'm, I'm just like keeping my mouth closed on. Um, uh, Aporia was an interesting kind of little movie. Did you guys see that one? No, Judy, I don't know Judy, that one. Judy Greer movie. I haven't um, seen it. World's Chris, biggest Judy Greer fan. This, Chris, this is why you will like it. Yeah. Uh, what you always say about the end of Back to the Future, right? Where, how come people don't talk about when Marty McFly comes back to 1985? Like, why doesn't he go crazy? Because he's not going to have any memories of these people in his life. Yes. Right? That's what this movie is about. Because technically it's like a time bullet movie. It's like a time murder film where like they yeah. can use a time machine to kill someone in the past and yep. change things. But like that's like the moral implications of that really aren't in the center of the film. It's really more about like, yeah, you think like that'll change things, but like you're the only one who's going to know that everything's different and you will go fucking crazy and it will ruin your life. So wow. like for that reason, it's a really interesting movie. It's it sounds a nice, really good, nice uh, like lo-fi sci-fi kind of a movie. I, I heard a few people mention it. It's just one I haven't had a chance to see it. But it yeah, I assume it was going to be a lot more like a horror movie, but it really is just kind of a straight drama with uh, time murder in it. Is it better or worse than Time Toilet? Which one? Part one. Time Toilet Part one. It's better than Time Toilet Part one. Sure. Is Primer better than Time Toilet Part one? (laughs) A, A, it's called Trimmer, as in the initial study of something, not a coat of paint, Martin. And (laughs) Time Toilet is better than Primer. (laughs) Uh, Martin, did you see Boy in the Hair and the Miyazaki movie? No, and like that almost certainly would make my list if I saw it. Like I have the spot sitting there where I figured it would probably be. Um, I don't know. I I had an ethical dilemma why I wouldn't be able to see it, but I I will see it very soon. It but, was being uh, projected on an underage girl's underpants. <laughs> That's fucked up, Mark. I understand <laughs> your problem, John. They, I was. That's how they do things at Ghibli. <laughs> um, John, I was surprised that you went so hard to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and didn't mention Boy in the Heron in the same breath. Do you feel it's decisively Spider-Man's that much better than Boy in the Heron? I don't know. I mean, I just love Spider-Verse so much. I can't say it enough. Um, but Boy in the Heron, you know, we talked about it after we saw it in Toronto, but then I saw it again, dubbed, of course, you know, in the mall with my kids. And uh, I remembered every single scene, but I still had that same sense of the first screening of like, what's happening? what is happening like it still had that like incredible feeling uh in the second viewing so it's that Miyazaki magic man you can't deny it it's like if I'm gonna stack it up against his other movies I don't think it's in my top five but like so for that reason I'm like well then I'd say spider versus better but when it becomes a slobber knocker between the two of them for the animated feature film Oscar or whatever it's gonna be like I don't know don't leave me out I don't want to have to pick between these two movies they're both just the top form top form both of these films the interesting thing to me about Boy and the Heron is, or maybe not interesting, it is so similar. It doesn't feel necessarily like a greatest hits film, but it is like Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. It does recall all of them in such a concrete way that it makes me... I feel like I need more time to rate it properly. I feel like I'm underrating it because it's just like, oh, he's doing what he does and not letting it go down as opposed to like 
Wind Rises and Ponyo and his Ponyo and even in recent one, he has some that are very off idiosyncratic uh, and off model for him later in his career where he still feels like he's being adventurous and taking risks very late in his career. That movie doesn't feel like it's taking any risks, which is I feel like why I'm underrating it is it's just another Miyazaki masterpiece open and shut, just another completely brilliant, flawless, perfect foray into the far steps of human imagination and delicate emotions, you yeah. know, and it's like, and okay, we get it, you know, so I do <laughs> feel like I underrated a little bit and that I don't, it's like I said on the TIFF episode, like, I feel like I'm not jumping hard enough up and down saying, look at how phenomenal this is. And in a couple of years, I, I will be. But I did the same thing to Howl's Moving Castle. I remember when that came out, I was like, more Miyazaki. Yeah, great. that's a movie I've come around on a lot more recently. Yeah, absolutely. Where I'm like, oh my God, well, obviously, this is one of the best movies of the century kind of thing. That's the funny thing when Miyazaki does something effortlessly. It's like, it's still better than everything, except, you know, <laughs> other Miyazaki movies. Exactly. And maybe not Spider-Verse. I don't know. Don't make me change. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Verse is amazing. Spider-Verse is really good. I'm I'm sort of excited by how much you like Spider-Verse. I don't know that you've never seen before the freaking uh, stencil drawn vulture, Italian vulture at the beginning oh, of the that, film. I can't stop that was thinking so cool, about it. Actually. It's amazing. Yeah. And and every scene has something amazing like that. And it makes me care about, you know, these characters so much. It's just it's gripping drama. It's fantastic action, mind-blowing animation. I don't know, man. I feel like a complete idiot every time I like geek out over this movie, but I just, it's, it's everything. It's everything. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's great. I really, really enjoyed it. In my mind, I might file it away a little too much as like the best that Hollywood has to offer. You know what I mean? And I might be stuffing it in that box a little bit, but I, I find your enthusiasm for it completely charming, John. And it, and it's increasing my affection for it in my heart right now. My heart is growing two sizes right now for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Can I just go through? I just want to throw out my three other movies that I saw, and I feel like I talked about all of them on the TIFF episode already. So it's like, what do I have to say? Coriata's new movie, Monster. It's fucking great. Pigeon Tunnel, Errol Morse's John le Carre documentary. It's fucking great. Shadows of Fire, Shania Tsukamoto's uh, World War II movie. Also fucking great. I really love those three movies. I don't know that I have so much to say about them. Uh, that I haven't already said. Um, Pigeon Tunnel's grown on me in my mind a lot. When I saw Pigeon Tunnel, I was a bit like, oh, this is a, a sort of biopic. This is not one of his best, but it's really super solid and it's really grown on me, especially same, same. as we've started reading the Lacare. Yeah, like I said, we'll talk about it more when we do tackle that episode. But uh, yeah, it's a movie that when I saw it, I thought, yeah, I mean, this seems like the kind of thing like Miyazaki, like Morris could do this in his sleep. It yeah. seems like it's not quite one of his more weird or challenging ones but like add more i think about it, it's like wow this is actually great and i want to see it again like soon yeah and i keep talking about it too like it keeps coming up in conversation with people and in particular my son and i have talked a lot about it and, and various things in it and it's maybe because i've I'm, I'm been hired to work on a documentary right now like it keeps coming up as far as like talking about how to how to make a documentary and what filmmaking is in a very fundamental way and uh so it's 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 had staying power that has very much surprised me and uh and monster i didn't hadn't seen all of it at at uh, toronto because uh, i left part of the screening i've watched all the way through 
it's phenomenal. I think Coriata is slowly becoming underappreciated. Uh, he's he's such a phenomenal filmmaker, and this is one of his best. It's up there with with all the others. And Shadows of Fire is Sukamoto doing modern Sukamoto. So incredibly unpleasant and chilling on a you know video diary intimate scale. Yeah, and obviously these are films that aren't available, you know, for everyone to see right now anyway. So isn't Pigeon Tunnel out? Pigeon Tunnel is on Apple, but the other two yeah. movies are yeah are not available yeah. right now. So we don't have to get too far into them for your list. We can talk a little more about Anatomy of a Fall, which is a TV show that people yeah. love. I feel like Anatomy of a Fall, the failure of modern criticism is most concisely expressed in the enthusiasm for Anatomy of a Fall. But more than that, when I think about Anatomy of a Fall, I feel like the fruit born, like the the fruit born of the critical idea that all of these TV shows like Secession and Mad Men are as good as real cinematic art. The fruit of that is people saying Anatomy of a Fall is a good fucking movie. That this is like, this is the legacy of prestige television is assholes wasting my time with Anatomy of a Fall. The Anatomy don't fall, fall from the tree. I, I, <laughs> I thought you were overstating it, John. When after we saw it at Tiffany, you were like, it's some fucking pot boiler court drum, drama TV show. And then you watch it and it's like barely better than an episode of Castle. It's just like, it's crazy how it's one of those it films that I determined was just created to drive me insane because when I walked out of it, I thought, wow, everyone's going to be disappointed in that one. Like that really got hyped up. And yeah. now this is, everyone's going to like forget this in a week. And the fact that it survived to the end of the year and is number one on everybody's list. It's just like, I'm going insane. Like, am I that out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong. Is it is, <laughs> but I do, but I do feel like genuinely its success is the, is the, is the fruit of the gradual degradation of the critical establishment over the past 20 years and the increasing total irrelevance of film criticism as a form due to the mediocrity and stupidity of the writers who have been in charge of the form and continue to oversee it, that what you get is this. You know, it's sort of like this movie is like the fucking, is it the lead waterways of ancient Rome? I don't know if that's the apt metaphor, but it's, it's definitely like, this is why the failure of criticism matters is because they won't be able to differentiate between this and an actual good artwork. They'll think that good art is like these good TV shows, quote unquote, good TV shows they watch. And they're not, they're all kind of generic deeply aesthetically uninteresting, deeply philosophically uninteresting, sort of morally and dramatically nothing type films are going to end up on the top of their list. Yeah. I did like a, uh, just a quick stack up of like, you know, like a letterbox type stack up of movies. And the only movie I think I would put under Anatomy of a Fall is Renfield. <laughs> when you talk about TVS movies, uh, John, did you like Star Trek Picard season three? I know you had a whole podcast episode on it. I just want to hear you say it. I, I liked it. I did. Yeah. 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 I mean, but, I, is it, honestly, it bar, bar pretty fucking low. Pretty goddamn low <laughs> after the first two seasons, which are literally the worst things that have ever I, been I think, made for anything. I think I actually, like, because those first two seasons were so bad, there was a lot of stuff with the season that I was like, I, I let slide. I'm like, fuck it. It's the last time do the fans or do the thing it's fine i'm not gonna complain about this I, I think we were talking that it's sort of like the 
I, I don't think the next generation cast really had like a good I mean you can say first contact it was like fine or uh, you know, Nemesis did them like, wrong. It, it left them in a really yeah, bad, like, I, I think like, place. none of the films really kind of play to the strengths of that cast. And like, you know, we were talking like all the conversations around it were like, oh, is this like the next generation's Wrath of Khan? Is it their search for Spock? And we kind of landed on like, oh, it's their Return of the Jedi. Like it's flawed right. in a lot of ways, but it's like a perfect kind of conclusion, you know? And it was, I, I, I liked it as like a finale. It was, a good even though it was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to kind of pick apart and nitpick. It's just like you kind of let it slide because it's like, yeah, it's the last time. It's fine. So, and like, you know, Patrick Stewart, it was kind of nice to see him come to life a little bit again. You know, after watching those two seasons were, you know, to actually uh, and, resemble Picard in a fucking yeah, show yeah. called Picard. I mean, the whole, yeah. The whole cast, I think, like, uh, kind of brought their A game. And it was nice to see, like, where they, where they took those characters and I liked all the new characters. Like, I think that, you know, th there's a lot of movies and shows where it's like, here's the son of that popular character. He's going to be the new thing. And like, you just immediately hate those characters. And I didn't with this. No, uh, they, and, they uh, retconned exactly the right people from the first it, it, two it, seasons and it was but uh, the, the best ones. And, you know, yeah. Well, they, even uh, like Raffi, who I thought was like a, a pointless character for like two seasons of Star Trek. I'm like, even her character, I'm like, they were smart about it where they stuck her with uh, Michael Dorn, who's like very kind of generous in the way he plays off of things. And like other actors just like look good playing off of him. <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, it, it, everyone was good in it. Um, and my favorite bit of acting, it wasn't like, you know, people were talking about like Patrick Stewart saying like, make it so again or engage. And like my favorite actual bit of Patrick Stewart acting in it was... Um, at the very end of the last episode, well, at, at the climax of the last episode, when like the Borg cube is blowing up, when he just turns and he smiles at his son and his son smiles back when the Enterprise is flying over that in that uh, amazing shot with the big kind of searchlights. And they have that, he just has this look on his face like, hey, can you believe this? We're actually getting rescued. Like, we're actually getting out of here. Like, you know, and it, it was nice to have um, a Star Trek sense of finality to that whole generation that wasn't like, this character dies or all these characters get blown up or self-sacrifice. It was just like these people coming together can accomplish anything and they all have a, you know, nice retirement now. They, they don't have to explode or sacrifice themselves or any of that. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, I liked I it. It wasn't, it wasn't a movie. It was a TV show, but I, it was fun. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's settled once and for all. Um, but I better send off the nemesis. No question. Yeah. Can, can I mention a couple of like, this is, this is a Star Trek thing. Yeah, it's, it's just a, joking. Just okay. joking. <laughs> uh, I, I just have like a couple honorable mentions and then I can talk about Godzilla if you guys like. Or Yeah, perfect. Uh, or Well, uh, two two films that were kind of like films I actually liked from directors that I don't normally like. Uh, one was Peter Pan and Wendy and the other was uh, Pale Blue Eye by uh, Scott Cooper. And I feel like like David Lowry, it's, it's kind of a strange case where he's somebody who's doing the like one for me one for them but i i think i like the one for them movies a lot more like you know he's somebody who's been on my radar for a long time because like anthem body saints was sort of this like zero for pseudo... audiences one for them one for me or one well... for audiences <laughs> um you know like anthem body saints i i didn't like the movie but i'm like okay clearly he likes a lot of the same stuff that i like and like you know he's into terrence malick and even in 
Peter Pan and Wendy, it's like, you know, you can go from like referencing Terrence Malick in a montage that's kind of like Tree of Life to like five minutes later doing his own version of the the airship fight scene from Paul W.S. Anderson's Three Musketeers <laughs> within the span of five minutes. I'm like, I, I have a feeling like if I ever sat down with him and had a conversation, we'd probably be able to talk about a lot of the same movies and be into the same stuff. But like, the have you ever his... heard an interview with them? No, he's, maybe I don't want to. He's one of these but... guys who talks like, with this film, we really thought we were making an American poem and a new. All right. Well, the, the, that's the thing. I think like, you know, a ghost story, Green Knight. I mean, like, I haven't really liked any of his sort of poem. Any of, Wait, you haven't liked any of his bad, bad movies? No, I haven't liked any of his, Martins. but like, you know, then he does something like Pete's Dragon and or uh, Peter Pan and Wendy, which are like very commercial films in a lot of ways. Although like Pete's I Dragon, think... Pete's Dragon is the number one film for uh, dads to show their kids to and have them be disappointed. If you're that <laughs> kind of dad who's like, I'd love for them to see the fucking <laughs> Wilco version of Pete's Dragon. But you know, and like they're like, these, um... eh, we didn't like it that much, Dad. Can we watch the James Franco alien gun movie instead? <laughs> no, no. But like, I think, like, I like those films a lot more, I think, because they're not trying to be art. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to think about like the ghost story monologue or the Green Knight nonsense. It's just like, oh, he's doing a commercial film and he has good taste in his references and the films look good. Like the Peter Pan and Wendy movie, I thought like, it looked great. I like the cast. I like, you know, Jude Law. Uh, yeah, I like the look of the pirates. I love the like visuals and it's just, you know, it's not a work of art. And like a lot of the, you know, like a lot of the things that don't work about it feel like very kind of Disney corporate input, like Tinkerbell. I feel like somebody said like, oh, Tinkerbell can't be sassy and jealous of the leading girl so instead she just has like no personality they just like cut to her to react how you know, how, uh, how how is the ugawug usable number <laughs> there's um i don't well there's not that but there's there's some sea chanties which are pretty fun in it but like oh it's of a, course he has sea shanties in his there's there's sea shanties but He's it's mr just, uh, sea shanty of course he, of he course. looks uh i've seen pictures of him and We're he looks whalers like on the moon to, no, sea but shanties, he's like but, the guy um, who's like, people got into sea shanties during COVID. I'm going to put them in my movie. Maybe, that's, but I feel like... That dude is. But oh I feel like I, I would like him a lot more if he just stopped making ghost Movies? stories and green eyes and instead agreed. just made like Disney live action remakes. I think like that, you know, again, talking about like selling out as a, as a theme of the year, I think he's like better at that. I, I like when he does that. Yes, I he's like... better as a commercial car salesman yeah. than a serious artist. It's certainly easier. <laughs> I'm trying to be, it's, I'm it's trying to say that in a nice way. to but... <laughs> take him seriously as a guy whose job is to sell fucking McDonald's than it is okay. a guy who's trying to sell the inherent poetic lyricism of a single blade of grass in a field. Sure. Like not everyone's an auteur and that I think that's fine. Like that's, you don't have to be a an artist you know to... he's a, he's as phony as a three dollar bill with rondo hatton's picture on it all he's right as all fake right. as fucking carmen electra's titties i'm trying to say this in the nice way <laughs> you gotta it's a compliment it's a compliment i liked his movie this year i think it was the yes, one of the best his, things he's done his his meaning of his life is to sit in boardrooms with uh executives who have never met an actual artist in his life their lives and convince them he's an artist that's what his whole job <laughs> is is to be a guy who has a little bit of a beard 
and puts his hand on his mouth and thinks a little before he thinks and have the executive go, well, goddamn, that well, mind must be a genius. That's and, clearly well, all this man exists for. While we're on that note, uh, Pale Blue Eye by uh, Scott Cooper, the like yeah. early Edgar Allan Poe murder mystery movie. Oh, that movie is fun. Bale. I, for, I forgot I, that's I love what that, that was called. That yeah. was fun. See, I, yeah. I'm saying movies that I like. <laughs> not, this didn't start off as like a, a trash thing, but like Scott Cooper... I always think like his films sound like something I'm going to like, like out of the furnace or hostiles or yeah. um, his uh, film from the other year uh, antlers. I thought like, like in some ways it's a very effective horror movie, but you watch it and it's like, there's something artistically faulty in, in this movie. Um, uh, and like, I, I don't want like, to go on a rant about hostiles antlers. was made for me, made for me. That that story, that cast, I was like, this yeah. is movie I and it, would and it's not love. good. It's, I, I had yeah, the, the it's same same reaction, yeah. and like clearly he's got some kind of good thing going with Christian Bale because they've done like three or four movies together now. But this one I liked, and I think it kind of helps that it's a little bit silly. Like I don't know, Scott Cooper. I think his other movies they feel so kind of humorless, and maybe it's not intentional with this, but it's like to me it felt like a nice kind of update of. Uh, you know, like a hammer horror movie kind of a thing. And I think like Christian Bale's really good in it, of course, but Harry Melling as uh, Edgar Allan Poe, I thought he was excellent. And I remember years ago when they came out with that uh, movie, The Raven with John Cusack, like yeah. I was probably more hyped for that film than anyone else on the planet. And I was uh, disappointed with that. And I kind of felt like, oh, like this is the film that that should have been. I really enjoyed it. I think like, you know, maybe if you turned it up to 11, you could have gotten like a, a ravenous or a Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow kind of a thing, but as is, I I really enjoyed this film, I thought it was fun. I watched it a couple times. It on, looks on really what, good. On what dial is Sleepy Hollow at an eleven? The uh, on the Tim dial? Burton dial on, on the on the go over the top, go wild, you know, like you know, heads spinning around. Like it, it's not that people wearing black and white striped clothing dial. Yeah, no, I I think if you if you went to like that Tim Burton like you know, people's heads spinning around, people looking yeah, like they're, you know, I'm Christopher joking, Walken hair. I think like, I, I honestly, I would probably like the movie more. <laughs> like that, That's, I, I love that kind of stuff. But I think like, as is, it kind of felt like, almost like, like a good, I don't know, like X-Files movie set in the past or like, I don't know. It, it's just got like a nice tone to it. I like the mood. I, I just really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, uh, it's, so I think it's like, like Peter Pan confident and, Wendy... and straightforward in the okay, way well, I always I mean, think his other um, movies are going to be. You know what yeah, I mean? When I put well, on I mean, Out that's... of the Furnace, I'm going to be like, I'm like, this is yeah. going to be like a nice little... Like a nice, solid thriller, yeah. and, uh, and, then and it's, it's not. not. Yeah, yeah. but it, I mean... Is. That, I mean, that's kind of my feelings about the the David Lowry movie also. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I paired these together for a reason. <laughs> um, also, like on uh, on Netflix, just another honorable mention. I liked uh, They Cloned Tyrone. I thought it was fine. Uh, I uh, kind of wanted to apologize to Tayona Paris because we <laughs> trash talked uh, Marvels, but I, I thought she was really fun in this. And it helps that she's got like Jamie Foxx to play off of. But um, yeah. This movie's also got the best use of Kiefer Sutherland I've seen in years. Where like I feel like because he did Twenty Four, he kind of fell into like the action movie guy thing. And like no, he, he's like the weird, creepy guy. Like you know, I, I think like you can kind of tell they clone Tyrone, the director. I haven't seen anything else they've done. I don't know what else they've done, but it's it's like you know, kind of a mix of there's a little bit of Dark City mixed with like black exploitation kind of movies. <laughs> it's sort of going for that. You know, I'm, I'm uh, my friend Alex Link Lynch joked that um, 
they probably pitched it as like oh this is going to be the next get out and then just ran off and made this instead because <laughs> it's it's kind of a weird movie in a lot of ways but uh i enjoyed that um the holdovers another honorable mention uh i haven't liked an alexander payne film since election uh but i, I like this one and i think part of it helped that like really this this holiday season that is the uh, only thing anyone could have said that would have made me interested honestly it, it, i think it helped that like this this christmas i was kind of a holdover you know i had sick family i didn't you know girlfriend was in a different city i, I was like on my own <laughs> watching this movie about kind of getting left behind for christmas and um mostly it's it's just a great showcase for paul giamatti i think one of the issues is that there's basically three leads and i would say one of them isn't that good uh but paul giamatti's excellent in it uh he's just like a pleasure to watch playing this character and uh you know part of me is like yeah you can go watch like an actual hal ashby movie if you want but uh i i like this film i i think like it's a good i, I you know maybe wait till next christmas and if you if you have uh, time all by yourself watch it kind of a movie but um i liked it so uh i think that covers most of most of my stuff aside from did you, Godzilla, did, i might want to what did you into. think of a haunting in venice I didn't see Haunting in Venice. Um, there were a lot of movies this year that I thought were like fine, but I didn't think were worth like putting on people's end of the year list. I mean, there's like Godland. I'm like, you know, I could just go and watch an actual Lisandro Alonzo movie <laughs> or like Past Lives. I'm like, you know, this is fine. I don't think this is anything special, um, you know, but uh, I, I see it on a lot of people's top 10 lists. So it's clearly like resonating with some people, but uh you know, there were a lot of films like that this year where I'm like, oh, it's fine. I don't really have anything bad to say about it, but it's not like something I'm head over heels for. Did you like The Killer? Uh, yeah, you know what? I did like The Killer. I think Marcus is right when he said it's it's kind of a nothing movie. But again, like sort of coming back to what I said about Oppenheimer, what was interesting to me about The Killer is like David Fincher has this reputation for being a perfectionist. And this film's all kind of about how perfectionism is bullshit <laughs> you know it's it's sort of like uh what, what did they say you know how to make god laugh you make a plan and you know this character he's a he's a perfectionist and like every time he tries to make a plan or do something it ends up kind of going sideways and i, I kind of liked like you know in the way that like gone girls kind of a comedy that you never laugh once throughout the entire film it's it, the killer's kind of like that where like, I guess this is kind of like a, a a dark comedy where you don't laugh, but it's all kind of a one big joke kind of feeling. But it, it did feel a little bit to me like David Fincher maybe kind of interrogating that idea of like, oh, like, you know, trying to be a perfectionist and then putting that out into the real world kind of defeats perfectionism as a personal philosophy. Like, what what am I really doing? And um I, I don't know if he was serious. I saw some like, you know, headline that he might do a, a sequel and I, I don't know how that would go, but uh, just as like a one-off thing, I, I actually like the killer. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that, but. Um... What did you think of John Cribbs's Twitter campaign to retroactively get David Fincher canceled for having directed the Cradle of Love video by Billy Idol? <laughs> I mean. Did you feel like that was fair for John to do? Have you seen that video? I'm just I, saying. I have seen that video. John might have a point. Um, might have I, well, a point. I, I think like like if I really want to shit on David Fincher, like I'll, I'll bring up Mank or something like that. Which well, is it's just actually like, um, it's fascinating. This this year I saw an interview with Matt Damon. I have no idea what the context of the clip was, but he was like, 
I will tell you why David Fincher is a bad director. I came to the set of Gone Girl and there was, uh, and it was, and it was, and it was Ben and Rosamond doing a scene where they're walking through the library and there was some background extra who walked by in a strange way. He did like a bad walking action. And rather than calling cut, I could see he was sitting there stewing about this thing that the background extra had done. He's not paying mm -hmm. any attention to what Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike were doing. And he's like losing his fucking mind about it. And Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike are like out there acting their hearts out. And then when it's over, he calls cut and he's like yelling at the AD, like what the fuck is this background extra doing? Blah, yeah. blah, blah, all that. And he was like, oh, I would never work with this guy. He doesn't actually understand what directing is. He's like obsessing over these details that don't matter. And that is very much the feeling I get anytime I watch a David Fincher movie is like, this is so fussed over and so deliberate and it's missing the the entire forest a lot of I, the time. I think that's very true. And I think like, like at least in the nineties, he had some edge and I think he's lost a lot of that yeah. now on top of everything. And I think like some of the stylistic stuff that he does is like, it just feels so phony when you watch uh mind hunters and he puts it's, on like the fake anamorphic lens flares yeah. or mank. And it's like the fake, uh, you know, cigarette burn, yeah. you know, and it, it doesn't look like film at all, he's, you know? So like stuff like that, yeah, I think he's is always like, been a director who's very, very cutesy. And actually, that's sort of why, like, the, my son wanted to watch The Killer. So we yep. watched it. And it's like, that's actually a cutesy movie. So, like, it his is. style it's... is, like, fine for it. Well, you know? And also, like, I think, like, it's a story about this guy who's, like, obsessed with every detail in every way, who miss, misses the forest through the trees. Like, there yeah. is something kind of, like, not necessarily autobiographical, but it feels like somebody may be kind of reflecting on their own philosophy i don't know how much of that is conscious or not but like to me that that was kind of the element that struck me as interesting about the killer is like huh this this guy's kind of like david fincher right <laughs> and like and he's also <laughs> kind of a he he's like terrible at uh, being an assassin although <laughs> but... torturing me with the smiths for two goddamn hours is not, <laughs> not something i sign up for yeah i would say yeah. like i would prefer david fincher to be doing a movie a cutesy little movie like this than something you know, self-important, like Benjamin take, um, Button or Mank or whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a hundred uh, killer sequels over another Mank, like, seriously. But, but at the same time, I had definitely this feeling throughout of, like, this felt like the um, uh, Steven Soderbergh genre DTV era of, like, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. where he's doing, like, these action movies, and it's like Soderbergh. I love No, I, I think that's a good comparison. Like, you this could pair not this the killer with, um, what was it called, Livewire? I think that would make a good double feature, actually. Haywire, yeah. Haywire, not Livewire. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, well, the I, Pierce I think Brosnan right. uh, bomb squad movie. Oh, is Patrick Stewart in that too? I believe no, uh, Detonator. That's a different. Detonator. Movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Pierce Brosnan just loved explosion movies. Yeah. Anyway, like I wasn't going to bring up the killer, but like since you mentioned it, yeah, that's I I liked it. I. So tell us, what did you like about Godzilla times three minus one? T-T-O-M-O. Um, it's it's a really great historical drama that happens to have a giant monster in it and it's it's like at the same time a very kind of compelling human drama and sort of uh critique of the legacy of imperial japan and it's also just like a really thrilling kind of large-scale uh monster movie disaster movie and um 
I mean, the director, like a lot of people were talking about like Takashi Yamazaki, like he just kind of came out of nowhere, but he's been somebody who I've kind of had on my radar for a little while now. Like he made that movie, um, The War of Archimedes, which I thought was really interesting. It's about this mathematician who kind of opposes the idea of building building the uh, the Yamato, which was kind of like a, you know, it's like a real life, it's a, it was the world's biggest battleship ever. And, you know, talking about like the, the financials and the the mathematics of it like not making any sense and kind of delving into that and uh he also did uh i don't know if you saw it it came out like maybe a two years ago that 3d animated loop in the third movie which i thought was going to be terrible because like i i've just kind of come to expect that from these like 3d animated anime movies like there was that ghibli one i thought was just like bad the the witch one um but I thought this like Lupin film was really good. And you can see that he has like a really clear eye for action and spectacle. And like, um, I think more than any other film this year, I saw Godzilla was, you know, exciting and compelling. And like, there's some of those moments like at the end when he's in the, the fighter plane, the Mitsubishi fighter plane, and he's coming, you know, it feels like within inches of Godzilla, the turning, like it's so well designed, those shots, it's um, exciting. But then you get caught up in, the story of these characters and i think like it's sort of funny that like a lot of the conversations about oppenheimer were like hey it needs to show the japanese side it needs to show japanese as uh, victims and poor little japan and it's like you know in some ways this film kind of says like hey like you know what was really fucked up was the imperial japanese government and the war and like you know it's it's uh it's not saying like you know we deserve to be bombed or anything like that but it, it's it's not like just kind of wallowing in um, in in misery, you know. And actually, it's it's sort of about kind of crawling out of that hole and uh, and dealing with the survivor's guilt and saying like, "Hey, you know, I shouldn't feel wrong for not dying in a kamikaze plane." Like the, the whole kamikaze plane thing was fucked up, and you know, I, I like that whole aspect to of to it and. It's interesting to me that like the two Japanese Godzilla films that have come out in this kind of uh, recent era where you've had the American Godzilla films being churned out is like Shin Godzilla and Godzilla Minus One, I think are both fantastic, but both completely different films and sort of using Godzilla in completely different ways where like in Shin Godzilla, it's this metaphor for, you know, the government's response to the uh, Fukushima disaster where it's like, you know, Godzilla changing forms. It's like the earthquake to the tsunami to the nuclear uh, meltdown kind of uh, shifting scenario and the slow response to that and then like this film it's um, it's different where you know Godzilla is this metaphor for you know the the sins of the past and this kind of like unresolved feelings about the war and um, I, I thought it was just fantastic and it looks it looks great like I, I think like it does spectacle better than most of the Hollywood films I've seen this year it's uh, I, I thought it was fantastic I don't know if you guys are going to I should say something different. I mean, um, I don't know, John. You're probably going to say it's no Spider Verse, but uh, I love this movie. Yeah. No, I, I loved. I loved it. it. I loved my it. my son had no interest, so it's oh, yeah. when the, he doesn't want to see something. It, and it's, it's hard that kind when, of like, big theatrical. Yeah, yeah. I just don't end up seeing it. But it's everyone I know whose taste I trust loves it. Uh, you included. So it's on. It's on my list. And like. Like I'm. I'm happy for the people who like the schlocky American Godzilla, but like the the Adam Wingard. I saw the trailer for that and it's like, oh my God, this looks like garbage. Like It looks so bad. And it's, uh, it just kind of, for me, like underscores how 
how good this film is and how you can use these monsters to you know explore interesting ideas and explore complex themes and it doesn't have to just be like action schlock you know what i mean yeah uh, it's the best movie since the original one i mean i really you could have favorites in between for sure you know uh i, I mean i would say it's the very best, much uh... but uh <laughs> it's definitely one that you know you appreciate it takes like the drama serious and the like, yeah. theme seriously I, not, I, I like i got whole uh, i got wrapped up in the drama like you care about the characters yeah. and like i love shin godzilla too like i would say you know Shin Godzilla's good. Shin Godzilla, I, I was saying, oh, it's the best one since the original. Now I'm saying, like, this one's the best one since the original. I guess it's the best one since Shin Godzilla, which is silly to say, but, like, it kind of feels that way where it's like, oh, this is, um, it's great, but it's so different. And, like, Shin Godzilla, you don't really care about the characters. Like, it's not about that. No. Um, and, like, this one, I, I found it to be just, like, a much more human story and... And you know that that like I mean one film I thought a you lot about Takashi Shimura just walk into the screen at some point you know that's, that's, <laughs> that's um, are. I mean one film I thought a lot about after watching Oppenheimer I went and watched it again was Okamoto's Japan's Longest Day it's the same director who did sort of Doom and I think like Japan's Longest Day is even better it's about the um, the failed coup to keep Japan from surrendering after the nuclear bomb got dropped which is like an insane thing that, uh, you know, but like in that film and it's got like a really stacked cast. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's got like, you know, Nakadai and Mifune and uh, Takashi Shimura, like, you know, all the great actors of that era, Chushu Ryo, they're all playing these like, you know, important historical figures. But like that film, you know, there's a really great scene in it where Mifune is saying like, hey, like it takes more courage to to live than to die sometimes. You know, it, it's brave to say that, like, hey, we lost and we have to move on. And I, I think, like, that sentiment, I, I could see that a lot in this Godzilla film. And um, I don't know, it's it's really impactful, but also just entertaining and exciting. And, you know, I was sort of joking on Twitter, like, you know, there's all this substantial stuff to talk about in the film. But also, I'm just like, oh, it's so cool when the, the fins on Godzilla's back pop up it, when he's it doesn't It doesn't skimp on the cool, that's for no, sure. It, no, and, like, I, I love the whole kind of idea of you know these regular people after the war who have to come together to solve this out of control problem because like hey nobody else will you know we have to be the ones to yeah to stop godzilla and like you know and i've seen people come up with like interesting interpretations already like enough of the stuff is ambiguous um i saw somebody on twitter mention this idea that like oh like i wonder if the scientist got this idea to use the uh pumping Godzilla full of this chemical from like unit 731 or like you know there, there's interesting things I think you could potentially read into the background without it actually saying some of this stuff but like it's you know there's a lot to bite into there's one or two things like I had like little wibbles with like um th there's a flashback right at the end to like something that happened like 12 minutes earlier in the film I'm like you don't need to do that like I, I remember 12 minutes ago, but like for the most part, I, I think it was things. just like, it's great. You know. It's worth, it's worth the comparison to Okamoto. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll just uh, throw out just before we kind of wrap up, I think with uh, Chris and my consensus favorite movie of the year, sure, just throw sure. out one more uh, perfect days, the Vin Vendors film. That's, uh, you know, not widely released yet. I don't think, but Wait, Vin uh, Vendors made a, a, a good film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. What year is this? Right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty shocking. Um, but it's great. I'm going to end up, you know, making Bill Tech talk to me about it when we have him on to talk about Patterson. But uh, Koji Yakusho, second best male performance of the year. No question. What's first the best it, male performance? 
It's, uh, it's Jonathan Majors in Creed 3. Sorry, everybody. Um, you know what? Send, send him to jail. Send him to jail and give him the right. Oscar. What One of those films that kind of fell in between the cracks between 2022 and 2023 for me was Devotion, which was kind of like the, the anti-Top Gun Maverick. Where, um, I don't know, you know that at, one. Oh, it, well, Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell from Top Gun Maverick play oh, yeah, yeah, pilots that, in the Korean yeah. War. Where like at the end, it's not like they, oh, that was a they heroically yeah. find the plane. It's like, oh no, they just, he dies at the end. <laughs> like that's the real, but like watching that, I'm like, oh, these guys are really good. And I almost tweeted out and my friends talked me out of it because they're like, oh, people are going to say, you know, oh, you're, you're being racist or you're saying something bad. But I almost sent as a joke tweet like, oh, Glenn Powell and Jonathan Majors are really good in this movie. It's going to be a shame when one of them turns out to be a cannibal. And I'm oh, I I tweeted that out because I was like, God damn it. I was was not that far off. But, uh, he, you know, he's a good actor. <laughs> he's probably a terrible person, but uh, I, I thought he was good in Devotion. <laughs> Creed 3, it feels like... It, it, the series was just like rushing to like end itself. Creed like three is the same problem as Creed two is that yeah. Creed two should have been called Drago and been about Drago's son yeah. and Creed should have well, been the supporting like, character. Creed and in this one, sort of, like Major's character should have been the main character. Yeah, no, well, like he should have won at the end and then Creed should have had to like come back from that from like another film. It just feels like they want to be done with this franchise as quick but, as possible because it, but like thematically it turns into like, I'm a guy with nothing to prove. He's got to beat a guy who's got everything to prove to prove that I have nothing to prove. I'm like, wait, what the fuck is this movie about? But, but you John, know what I mean? John, just to be clear, what level of violence and depravity does his talent justify to you? Just for the record. Zero. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> Zero. Good. I mean. Zero. Am I going to lie and say he's a bad actor, though? Just because he's a bad person? Sorry. He was good I, in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, moving on to Woody Allen and Roman Polanski real quick. Quick lightning round, guys. What do you guys think of that stuff? Did you, John, did you take your son to see The Tenant in the theater this year? That was me. Oh, I'm sorry, that was me. That was me. That's a good, that's a kid's movie, right? That must have been a fun movie to see in the theater while they were watching Enter the Dragon in the theater. <laughs> um, John, what was our Pink Smoke consensus favorite movie of the year? Uh, it was uh, Cleberman and Donka Filho's Pictures of Ghosts, which is a story about Recife and uh, from his his history, history of the city, its cinemas, uh, what the city is like now. Uh, my God, it's an architectural um, journey through this through this city and through his life and through cinema love, and it's beautiful. <laughs> we you know we of course talked about it a lot on the Toronto episode, but. This is just a movie that you can't miss. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. It's fucking great. It's terrific. And he's he's wonderful. Yeah. And like I said on the Toronto episode, this is a movie that's that's just going to be like essential viewing for a certain kind of cinephile. Uh, it did not pick up much traction when it had, I don't even know if it was released or what happened with it. When it seemed to be out floating around in the air, I don't know if it was just its New York Film Festival screenings. But I did not expect it to pick up any traction. It's one of those movies that's reputation is going to grow gradually over the years. And it's it's going to be a true cult film in every sense of the word. Um, and it's it's powerful and funny and charming and effortlessly interesting and just has the most profound weights of history and art on its back while being feather light and hilarious and and nonstop interesting just every second 
you're looking at an image that's compelling and and yeah very likable movie you know the uh, the final sequence where it's him with the cab driver at the end has 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 uh grown on my nerves more as time has gone on i really wish it wasn't there oh but really I, yeah but i also i i also don't give a shit about it ultimately <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like that's a misstep but i i'm willing to permit that movie anything because of where it's led me up until that point and it's i, also I love just... i love it i explained that scene to my my daughter and she always asked me to tell it to her again oh really maybe yeah. i'm wrong about it maybe i'm wrong i haven't been able to see it again since the theater i know so, i've um... just been going and like watching like uh extended like clips and previews and stuff on youtube yeah. of it just to get like an experience of it again and it is, and it'll leave you like with this, like, it's one of those movies that, that you leave it and you're just like, oh my God, Recif, one of my favorite cities on earth. You know what I mean? Like Recif <laughs> yeah. is my hometown now kind of thing. Just, just impacts you in, in that way. Just, just a, a profound, profound movie. Really, really great. Is it better than Across the Spider-Verse and uh, Menus Pleasure <laughs> of Latrago and, and Boy in the Heron? I think it's not fair to put that kind of uh, uh, virtuosic weight on it, that kind of like masterpiece tour de force weight on it, even to put it next to something like Oppenheimer that's ins insistently a tour de force. You know, that's not what this is. This movie is is all of the the charm of a of a fucking of a of a small poem you know, of a, of a Richard Brodigan poem and all of the in, intelligence uh, and insight of, of, a, of a good joke, you know, of a one-liner in some ways. It's like going through a photo album with an incredibly entertaining host where like maybe you didn't know anything about their family before you sat down to look at the photo album, but by the end you're in tears with laughter and want to know all of the details of everybody's life and, you know, oh, you're, that's his aunt and you're recognizing in the photos it has that quality to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's magic. I fucking love it. And only thing it's, it's, it's only it's... thing it's missing? Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> you throw Godzilla in the middle. But you're gonna say like, Jonathan Majors. <laughs> Jonathan Majors gets out of prison. You haven't fight Godzilla. In receive. Is that a winner? I <laughs> no. <laughs> nope, don't do that. Do you guys have any like general thoughts about the year? Any summations or any kind of takeaways that you feel like like what 2023 sucks that William Friedkin died but you know hi yeah um I you know just like what we talked about before where you know it's we should mention it's the end of the superhero era pretty pretty decisively which means something else is coming in film and that'll be exciting to see it was exciting to have a real actual fucking event the Barbenheimer blockbuster cinema event in theaters uh, you know, I do worry like anybody who is a big movie goer about like what's going to happen with theatrical, what's going to happen to movie theaters. You know, my son and his friends like going to the movies as something to do is just not on the table in the way it was when I was a teenager. And I it's expensive. I mean, like I I didn't get out they to just the movies as much as as I normally with this year yeah i mean like if you look at the box office this year it feels like like people will go to the movies if you really give them a reason to go they don't go as a as a habit yeah. you know and there's a lot of movies this year where 
I mean, like some of the movies I mentioned on here, I would not necessarily recommend to see in a theater. You know, I like them, but it's like you just watch it on streaming. You're not going to get a considerably worse experience. And it feels a lot like the people running these studios, uh, you know, there used to be studio heads who came out of the film industry. And now it feels like people don't even really understand or like even value well, films well, in so like a much, corporate product way even like so it's, much this yeah. is, this is something i i ran into when i programmed the movie theater i came in i wasn't even one of the original people the theater had been open a couple months when i got the job and it was massively successful endeavor right this movie theater whatever you could expect for a repertory theater success to have this was several orders of magnitude above it right and after i'd been there like seven or eight years there was this second sort of wave of new hires that came in and they would all lay around in this hammock we had put up. Like that hammock had just fucking been there between two trees on the beach and they would lay around in it. And it's not that they did a good or a bad job, but they were just laying around in a very comfortable hammock that we had put up and they weren't there for the like, okay, we got to clear the beach. We got to get some netting. We got to find two appropriately spaced trees and we got to get some nails and a hammer and we got to put this hammock up. That's going to be super comfortable for this business to be in. Right. And I feel like that's what you have in a lot of industries, but especially the film industry where people don't realize culture is fragile. Somebody had to build Hollywood as the international force of culture that has existed for the past century. And you're just laying around in that thing that was built. You know, you're just hanging around in the hammock that somebody else put up without even any awareness that like, that can fall down. It had to be built. It's not eternal, right? Like if you want to create film culture and persevere and have it be this incredible financial money-making thing, you have to work on it and build it and support it to put together. And exactly what you're saying, you have these guys who come in and they're like, well, wouldn't it be more obvious way to make money if we did something that's going to be detrimental to the culture in some very fundamental way? And it's like, no, you idiot. You're going to destroy your asset. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things where I don't even know what the comparison is because I'm only in the culture business. I'm not in the business business. But like you can destroy culture. Culture is not eternal. Cinema is not eternal. Novels aren't eternal, right? Poems aren't eternal. You can have this stuff become very marginal if you do not foster it and shepherd it and take care of it. Well, I think even, even a step beyond that, I think a lot of these people in charge don't care about the future to them yeah. you know it's about a short term hey if you know if we can cut enough corners to make this this year look good this uh yeah. this quarter look good you know who cares about the long run you know yeah. and I, I think like that kind of short-term thinking is is pervasive in in a lot of business culture and you know the, entering the film industry is just sort of a, a byproduct yeah of that but um i mean we've also we've talked about yeah. how the the history of the business is that you know I, I feel like we've talked about this on episodes a lot recently but how like everybody was going to be the amazon walmart of streaming right that they were yeah. going to come in operate in the red for a decade and 
put everybody out of Bells out of business by operating in the red and then raise their prices once they had consolidated and control everything. Once that, and it seemed like Netflix was going to be able to do that. And then when they didn't do it, and they had HBO Max versus Hulu versus Apple TV versus Amazon Prime, and they were all operating wildly in the red when the HBO guy came in and was like, we're not doing this anymore. We're not yeah. pouring money into this shit. That then you was started the to see change. the other ones. Yeah. yeah. And, and it remains to be seen what that's going to be because there's not actually evidence that it's possible to make the kind of massive profits that theatrical made for these companies on streaming. There's just not evidence that there's any way to pull that kind of money yet. It just no, doesn't well, And there's happen. like bigger economic, re like, yeah. you know, interest rates are up. So that affects this, which affects, you yeah. know, the free flow of money into these sorts of endeavor. Yeah. Like there's a lot of bigger reasons why, yeah. why that's changing at this particular moment in time. But uh, I mean, it, it's, it's worth bringing up just because it, it does affect the film industry and it affects, you know, I know Hollywood is not, the entirety of film but like you know, i mean as, as much as i i love my godzilla minus one like the reality is like america makes better films than anybody else <laughs> like the, you know they have the yeah. best film tradition america like it really does like it's true and it, it would be a shame to kind of let that wither and fall apart and you know it's interesting to me like i was reading a lot about uh the korean film industry right now and like how much money was put into like yeah, you have soft power and like, hey, what can we export that's that we can compete with other countries in the region? Well, we, we can export our culture and we can export films yeah. and then we can export K-pop and, you know, all of that stuff. It's been very successful. And I feel like people kind of forget that like American culture can be this huge asset and it can be uh, valuable and people want to consume American <laughs> culture. Actually, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it doesn't get talked about as much, but like, you know, American movies rock and... <laughs> Yeah, it would suck to see Hollywood kind of fall apart. And, you know, between the COVID and between the actors and writer strikes, um, you know, it feels like like this is more precarious than it's been in a while. It, it feels like it, it's close to some kind of, you know, There's collapse. And like we're definitely the, headed into a new era. Of yeah, time. I mean, and it well, remains to see what it's going to be. The, the, the positive version of uh, that outcome could be like a new new hollywood you know it could be something very exciting like that but uh, well who hopefully knows? those hopefully those lazy animators will finish the third spider-verse movie before oh that my happens. god yeah I'll, I'll tell you what i think of spider-verse Spider like is a three fucking American years I, <laughs> i'll tell you, you know what i think of spider-verse when i've seen it <laughs> Here's, let's kill two birds with one stone make jonathan majors animate the new one in prison, part of the sentence. <laughs> the sentence Work them 24 hours a day. Spider burst. That's what. Bang. Good night, everybody. Dead.